0: Let's start the show for Thursday, September 29th, 2016. Welcome to This Is Only A Test, the official podcast of Tested.com. Hello and welcome everyone to this week's episode. Uh, Let me turn myself down just a little bit so I'm not clipping. I'm Norm, hosting this week. Welcome and thank you for joining us. I want to quickly introduce my two co-hosts. You know them very well. It's Jeremy Williams. Hello. And Kishore Hari. Hello. You know, it feels like it's just been one week since we saw you guys last, but... I think we've been hanging out a lot more. I mean, I I'm, I finally feel like I'm back into the groove of normalcy. I feel like you've been in my house a lot. Yeah. I don't. I don't know if we've been hanging out. Yeah, I've been in your house when uh, you're not there.
1: I went to. Char- this is getting creepy. I went, <laughs> yeah, I went to Charleston, South Carolina this mm-hmm. weekend to attend a wedding, and Norman and Danica kindly uh, watched my kids while we were gone.
0: Yes,
2: and uh, did a fantastic job. Did, well, both of your kids return. They they're safe. They're both uh-huh. alive.
1: I was more concerned for Norma Danica, but everyone was alive.
0: I was just there to uh, as as moral support <laughs> and as a uh, a game pad holder. So <laughs> and I Star- really Star and Star Trek explainer. Star Trek explainer. I yeah. serve very specific roles in babysitting. So Jeremy, you have two kids. Yes. Um, I don't know if you how much you want to say about how old they are. Six year old girl, nine year old boy. Great. Yeah. And you, we've talked about you watching Star Trek. With your son. Next Gen. Next Generation Season 1. So for the weekend that we babysat, uh, I did, I played Magicka 2. All the way through, right? All the way through. Like that blows (laughs) my mind.
1: Nice. Uh, So
0: (laughs) (laughs) that's actually maybe the longest I've played any game (laughs) in maybe six months. For the record, it was extremely hot outside. Yes. So we've had a heat wave in San Francisco. Uh, And then I also served the role of um, star, you know, as Star Trek explainer, next generation explainer, yeah. but I also felt like there was a prime directive there. Oh, yeah, you had, right? to, respect had to respect his innocence. I had to respect his innocence. He had not achieved warp drive in certain <laughs> parts, so I couldn't, there was so much I had to hold back. I had, I had the, there was a veil of secrecy oh. I could tease, and I could, like, trying to, I, I could see that what you had already seeded him with, the, the information, and yeah. the direction, and the, the optimism of Star Trek season one, but things like Pulaski, and and how and, and no Pulaski's that's a complicated time. I know he doesn't need that. I know. So yep. it was it was more about just nurturing was so the, responsible of the, you. the excitement, um, and not trying to sway any opinions or yeah. any characters, uh, but very factual. So almost playing the role of the Star Trek computer. Oh, that's so responsible of you. I mean, what, yeah. what do we call that? The prime directive of Star Trek watching? I think you could apply it to any TV show, though. I think, as anyone who, and I, I of course, we're. Kind of almost jumping right into the pop culture segment, so, um, but we're not gonna play the intro yet. But like, if you're watching a TV show, if you're if you're a fan of TV shows, like you you and you're introducing a show to a friend, I yeah. love doing that. I love like if uh, and I and I love when someone does it for me. Like I had never seen Mad Men, but I love like watching Mad Men with someone who had watched Mad Men. There is a responsibility to let them experience it. to let them experience it, but also help fill in the gaps because they can't. If you're binging, if someone's binging a show. Mm. They they don't get the week-to-week water cooler moments, the deep dives on right. internet threads. So there are things that they are not going to get from the binge-watching experience that you may have gotten. And so as someone who's guiding a friend through a show, you have to find the right place to interject and tease and get their brain spinning a certain way. So they when, when moments reveal themselves later on in the series, they can appreciate it. Maybe not as fully as you did, but get a glimpse of that.
1: Um, so what, my question is: You were watching season one, and you're about half. We're about halfway through it, and you went into this thinking, "Oh my God, season one! I don't yeah. want to have to deal with that anymore." Right. But but my son is watching it for the first
0: time, and he doesn't know any better. Was it difficult? Were, did you see season one in new eyes? I absolutely did. Um, I, I forgot so many things about Next Generation season one. How much they wanted to how like clearly Gene Roddenberry and the writing team had a playbook that they wanted to the echoes of the original series in season 1 and also these grand ideas like the first appearance of Klingons um they had like all these cultural differences that they and they tried to use Worf as a way as a conduit to explain this thing, which they it goes away like so much of season one is set up for that, what that universe, where Star Trek hmm. is in the 23rd, 24th century. Uh, the introduction of the battle bridge, like, which you rarely see later on, but it was like, oh, they wanted to get the idea out. This is a new enterprise. You can yeah. split the saucers and battle section. Uh, and then so much of it is like Wesley Crusher. There's also.
1: so much Wesley Crusher. So He's much such a Wesley. major character.
0: Yeah. Things. I, I mean, I think most people remember season three and four as the, the, uh, the As soon as they change uniforms. uniforms. Yeah. Yeah, but I think watch like as a kid, he probably likes having Wesley be a major character, you know? I, I, didn't, w- I didn't try to sway him one way or the other. No, you didn't show him Will Wheaton's <laughs> Instagram
2: now? Be like, this is what he looks like now, kid. <laughs>
0: well, he never
1: made it through Starfleet Academy. Well, in season one, like you see him. Q makes him 10 years older in one oh, of the episodes. Right. And so you sort of see what he should look like. Of course, he looks nothing like that.
0: He's all wearing the sweater, though. Yeah, he's still wearing the sweater. It's a little bigger, <laughs> yeah. but he's still wearing that yeah. sweater. And Jordy goes, "Nice."
2: <laughs>
0: um, All right, but yeah. Okay, so so I guess that that catches us up. Uh, let's jump. So right. Jeremy's kids are still alive. Jeremy's That's kids a, are still alive. As is Norm. Um, uh, it was a small glimpse into parenthood, mm-hmm. um, and uh, and and yeah, it was fun. <laughs> this there we go all right so what's been happening in the world of pop culture i mean modern today's pop culture aside from next generation rewatching. um we don't cover politics too often on this show. We don't, but I think debate, the, poli- the recent political debate where 84, 85 million people watched it, the most watched debate in all time. Just I, watched I, on TV? Just on TV, I think qualifies as not only maybe a piece of pop culture news, but a little piece of technology news. So I assume you guys watched the debate as well. I did. I watched the YouTube of it after, after hours. YouTube. After hours, okay. I
2: I watched. I had a, went to a watching party, but then um, and there's because I was at um, a a party and, and pieces I missed. I rewatched parts on Twitter, which was it, like, it was really mm-hmm. interesting. The ways that I could revisit certain aspects of it. Mm.
0: Did you scroll through? Because I mean, it's not the first debate that had Twitter. We had second screens four years ago. I think now you have a lot of just, it's just deeper dive. And the way people are using second screens, the way second screens are even acknowledged in the debate when Hillary Clinton said, use a moment to say, to give a, sh- a shout out, go to my website, go check out this thing. There are teams of people. It's more than just the two people on stage, it's a whole, whole infrastructure of things supporting this one event
2: did you second screen it because i actually tried not to Mm. uh and the reason i tried not to is i i follow um nate silver in 538 and i listen to that election podcast he was was quiet yeah Yeah. and there's this uh in the preview which i was listening to uh that day um they asked like how should you watch the debate tonight and nate silver said the most in you know throwback technology item ever he's like you should watch it and take a half hour and think about what you heard don't Try to like interact with people. Actually, approach it as like, uh, as a moment of of information and education, and try to just assimilate assimilate what you heard see before you go to are. yeah before you listen to what other people have to say yeah. in their reactions. Uh, and I did that to a certain extent, um, and then I do- dove into all of the reactions.
1: I thought it was interesting that both candidates are always on screen. Like
0: unless there's a question being asked, you never
1: don't see one of them.
0: Well, our for an hour and, networks, and a half, and no commercials, right? No commercials for at least ninety minutes. Were each of the networks? Because I didn't watch it on TV till a little bit toward the end, and I got to almost get the full spectrum. I started with radio. I was listening onto the radio the first half hour. I was driving home, mm-hmm. listening to the radio, then turned on TV, then did TV and internet. Did the different networks have different feeds, no, or did they have feed. the same split screen feed? They didn't get to. There was no programming with the networks to switch no, between the cameras. I think that's
2: settled ahead of time. They, I mean, they fine-tuned this to the point where they argued whether uh, Clinton would get a riser so she would be the same height as she Trump did, right? in, no, the, no. in they, the shots. They made her a custom uh, podium.
0: Uh, and then also the temperature of the room, all these things yeah. negotiated, which is like, that's interesting from like a logistics standpoint and a poli- like politics, pure politics standpoint. But in terms of production... Um, they knew that this was something that people, they wanted to get into as many eyeballs as possible. Yeah. Um, And there was no, like, lower third commentary. Well, there there was. was, On
1: on Fox, at least, there was. And for whatever reason, I was, like, I had found the Fox YouTube stream. And so they had their own lower thirds, and they were summarizing what was being said. Summarizing. Yeah. Okay.
2: You could watch uh, channels where there was instant polling from audiences that were watching it, undecided voters from particular states. And they would, like, turn a dial, apparently, to who they thought was was sort of doing um, better in that moment, uh, which is not very informative to watch. It's just a bunch of lines going across the screen. Well, I, I think
0: all of that kind of programming, everything you can do, whether it's fact-checking or putting lower thirds or even putting polls up, that influences how someone experiences the pure content. Just having a visual. We know this from Kennedy Nixon. Um, you know, watching, watching Nixon sweat and... Even today, that's relevant. Having a camera fixed on someone for 90 minutes, it's a very difficult thing to do. Yeah,
1: for sure. Uh, I was, you know, the whole, you mentioned uh, Hillary's fact-checking feature that she promoted on her own website. I thought that that was a great idea. Incredibly poorly pulled off because it was going to be on one of the, Candidate's own website. NPR did it too. So we cannot be that far off from having some sort of live fact checking be a part of the.
2: Or like a bubble popped up. Of the debate.
1: I mean, we could even, I mean, computers could automate this with, I'm sure right now to some degree of accuracy. And that's only going to get better and better. And I I could see there being a panel of people who are on the internet doing live research who are just giving like a validity meter for how truthful somebody is being at any certain moment.
2: I can't imagine the candidates agreeing to that. They don't agree
1: what the facts are. But maybe they don't get to
0: decide one day. But even whoever does the programming, whoever programs the algorithms and chooses which databases to scrub, Mm. that itself is an editorial decision. Uh, I mean, yes, facts are facts. But the way facts are presented, the way what you choose to fact check and the way you present the fact checking, whether in in corrections or affirmations, how many affirmations you choose, like all of that can have influence. And
2: that makes me sad. I actually left the debate feeling very sad because it reminded me so much of my sports watching experience that there is (laughs) all of these. Pieces of information that they're adding on, both visually um, and commentary. Uh, and uh, there's this enhanced drama and conflict that's coming into play, which reminds me so much of a sports telecast. And uh, if there's anything that I really resonated with the entire night was when Patton Oswald tw- uh, tweeted, is like, watch this on PBS. Don't, like, if you support the idea of, of politics being an intellectual endeavor. Uh, which we all know it isn't. But I mean, if you support that idea, uh, go with the throwback where there's not any of that. Yeah. And I think, um, I should have watched on C-SPAN. That's what I think. Oh, did they? They mostly have. Yeah. That's interesting. Well, before we
1: move on, I just want to say that Kishore was asking before the show, he was saying that he's still undecided about who to vote for. So if anyone has any suggestions, he's uh, (laughs) at Science ScienceKish on Twitter. Oh yeah, you can
0: follow me first. (laughs) (laughs) You know, aside from... um, Aside from debates uh, and and so many people watching it, it, I mean, there aren't any of these cultural rituals that we do. There's like the Super Bowl. Um, what else is there that people rally around that can be touchstones for for you know even just American culture uh, in popular media? It's it's you know ritualistically we have Macy's Day Parade, right? Thanksgiving Day Parade, maybe Super Bowl. Super Bowl, as I said, that Super Bowl. And presidential debates—that's kind of, kind of it.
1: And yeah, as you guys said, that the the number of viewers was very close to Super Bowl numbers for yeah. this debate. Excuse I you. mean,
2: it's short, but I mean, Super Bowl crests 130 million. Yeah. So I mean, right. it, when you think about that number, 130 million means almost half of the population of the United States is watching that show. Yeah. Um, it's so 84.
0: I actually feel like that's low on some level. How does it compare to like series finale of Cheers? Uh, less than, for less sure. Than More people watched the series finale of Cheers? No, no, no. no, Maybe no the do be... I think that's like in the 20s, right? Like,
2: uh, Wasn't MASH the one that had the most viewership? Mm. The MASH finale, it had
0: 105 million people. watched watch so the, the MASH finale. finale. That's insane. I mean, even telling that has been a technical challenge. Like you said, there's 84 million people watched it live, but there's also YouTube streams. There's all sorts of, like, there's uh, edits that people, like, cuts that people have done for to, to digest in different ways. I wonder how many people are going to watch the Walking Dead finale as, like, the, yeah. the most popular cable show in recent memory.
2: Well, that's if there ever gets to be a Walking Dead finale, because they're under a little bit of pressure right now. Uh-oh. Did you see the lawsuit that got filed against the Walking Dead? No. Why? Uh. So, one of the... Um, Uh, the uh, gentleman that works for the studio that essentially produces the show. And then it got licensed out to AMC. He sued because he is arguing that the license was done at an extremely low rate. And so he sued The Walking Dead for $280 million uh, because they undersold the value of the show. You're not talking about just
0: anyone. You're talking about the showrunner, Frank Darabont, who made the show season one possible. The director of The Mist. Hmm. Yeah, well, that's fine. I I said executive, right? That's yep. What yep, he was. Yep, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Yeah, he he chose to leave the show. Um, that's a. I mean, that's crazy. Two hundred eighty million dollars. Uh, which just shows how inflated the Walking Dead is is worth in, in in terms of um its appeal and its pop culture relevance.
1: I'm just. It's just interesting to have this done at this point in time. I mean, when usually when people license. IPs, it, there's still a level of, of uh, you know, checks
0: before it even goes out to the public. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Um, all right. Uh, there's this is a story. The next one, thing we want to talk about actually popped up. Uh, a, I want to say a week or two ago. Uh, there are a lot of stories going around in movie blogs about uh, the amazing VFX. Uh, special effects in Captain America: Civil War, which is it's out on Blu-ray. Maybe that's why there's a renewed interest in it. Um, but the Black Panther, who I thought was one of the the best characters in the new also movie, best-looking outfit in a yep. long time in and, a movie, and had an amazing helmet and, and costume. Uh, there were some interviews that said, well, that that costume was basically all CG. And just recently, uh, there was a VFX reel that shows how just how much layering went on top of the practical suit um, to make it look like, give it that sheen to give it that kind of metallic sheen hmm. that it did um, we've seen the actual Black Panther helmet up close it was at the legacy uh, uh, Ironhead Studios booth at um, at Monster Palooza and it's a beautiful beautiful helmet like the amount of manufacturing went that is insane uh, I think that these kind of stories give a they, they undersell the value of the practical suit that was made and well because i think the story gets hype
2: because when you watch the video you can see there's still intricate detail on the suit that he's wearing but when the when you look at it on screen the part of the magic is all like the shading and like the sparkle that comes off the shoot the sharpness of the talons that he has or his claws uh, and that's not really done practically that that's all the visual effects. And, uh, so there's a, even though the suit is beautiful and that Ironhead video is incredible that you're talking about. Um, I, I think it, it, it just enhances, um, the, the craft and skill that went into to making the suit incredible. Uh, the overlays are, are pretty impressive. I mean, the suit still looks good. It's just the. Um, when you see the VFX on top, it's just even even more brilliant. I
1: guess as a composite, it's brilliant as you know, as a science and art, it's brilliant. i just I miss believing that what I'm watching actually happened as a performance. Did you see the movie?
0: Yeah. Did you know that any anytime Spider-Man appeared on screen or not every time? the vast majority of shots with Spider-Man? Spider-Man's all CG. Yeah, and I mean, that's the one that actually is more CG. Than Black Panther, Wait, many, plenty of shots were practical suit and maybe some enhancements. For but texture. that's the, that's the thing. If you like,
1: if I see Spider-Man and I, I, could tell from the original trailers that he was CG. Like when he first appears,
2: you, know, you mean his eyes
1: don't normally do that? Hey,
2: under practical, practically exactly,
1: you know, I think they ha- when they have that level, I just I, I start to just question everything and just assume I'm watching a cartoon, mm-hmm. and it just becomes a visual effects you know, scene. And I enjoy that. But I, I think I enjoy even more the first Matrix film, which was, you know, just you were really watching people doing things. It, it, maybe the ropes were CG'd out and maybe there were interesting camera tricks being done. But it was all actual actors.
0: And um, how quickly that went south in the second Matrix film. Exactly. Where it just looked like putty faces yeah. for so much of it. Um, did we talk about Kubo last week? No, dude. No Kubo it, incredible and I think the same thing I, like I, maybe we, we talked about it off podcast but I have the same problem I love that film yeah I think there it was, it's a great achievement in, in um, stop motion I think there's some problems with the story it's a, maybe sh- should have been more of a shorter film than a stretched out full length movie mm. but some some of the sequences especially the fighting sequences are mind-blowing but I have the same problem with that film and that's because they're melding CG with stop motion, mm-hmm. there are parts where the stop motion is done either so well that I can't tell if it's CG. Um, I would almost want it to be a little more clunkier. Right. I, they've
1: done that with every movie they've made. The Coraline, um, one I never saw, uh, the Norman, Paranorman, Paranorman a great a, movie. And then box trolls. They've, they've always merged some CG elements, but with this one, it just became more and more.
0: Well, the faces, cause they, uh, were the, they fully embraced, um, stop motion or uh, 3D printing, rapid prototyping yeah. for the face swapping, and you can watch the progress from Coraline, Paranorman, Box Trolls to Kubo in terms of how many different faces. And I feel like it reached maybe its peak point in Box Trolls. Peak meaning peak meaning uh, the the right balance oh, okay. between uh, showing something that's physical yeah. and and showing the and, and showing. The limitations of having to make you know so many faces uh with kubo i think it's maybe a little too smooth they had so many transitions mm. like i like seeing the lines on the stop motion faces when they have to swap out the top and the bottom of the face i yeah. like
1: that i understand i totally get you like some of those dream sequences i wear the with the uh, origami i was like is this cg or is this stop motion
0: exactly you know, and, I know what you mean and even um, at the end of the film so don't want to spoil the whole plot but usually, uh, sh- Box Trolls I think is a maybe the weakest of their film story wise I would totally disagree with you I love them you love Box Trolls <laughs> um, I think it's animation wise still really up there yeah I love at the end of Box Trolls in their kind of mid credits post credits sequence they do this time lapse yeah and it's like this soliloquy between two of the characters yeah um, they have this conversation about existential, it's existential conversation. And while they're talking, you can actually find this clip on YouTube. Uh, you see the animators, like in time lapse, animate them. And it's like this magical, magical. I love that. Like I do There's no blending out of the wires, no right. cutting out of any of the animators. And I, I could turn to my kids at that
1: moment and say, This is how they made the whole movie.
0: Right, right. Um, and there's like a beautiful, like, time lapse tracking shot. So it pans out, yeah. uh, dollies out. Uh, in Kubo, they did a similar thing at the end. At the credits, yeah. At the credits, but without the kind of dialogue. It's just like a showing yeah. how they made the sequence for one of the giant monsters. And watching that, I'm like, well, okay, I, I appreciate that now. But when I was watching the film, that monster didn't read as stop motion to me. That monster read as CG. Well, because it was motion controlled. Like, it practically
1: is CG. What's the line between computer-controlled animatronics and computer-controlled CG rigging? Right. right, it's going to be the same kind of keyframing and but the you, same motions. But
0: what you can do with and the advantage of stop motion is, well, you get physics and light. You get yes. You get light effects, and you can also do tricks. There's a one of my favorite stop motion uh, animators um, is uh, a British gentleman, Barry J C Purves. Uh, you guys should all look it up Barry J C P U R V E S, and um, he only has like 7 or 7 or 8 short films he's made. Um but there's one that he's made uh, that that uh it's called um screenplay and it's in the Japanese style. It's mm-hmm. like a kabuki in in stop motion a story, a short story told in the kabuki style. And what he does is he does he plays with the set. So because um in stop motion you can you're, between each frame, you can hide things you can move things from the frame you can take things out of the background it's one of the advantages of filming in stop motion is you can do special effects essentially magic tricks um because you're you're only you're you're controlling every frame um and i don't think I think Kubo the way it was maybe blocked out didn't take nearly as much advantage of that <laughs> uh, of of the kind of magic you can do in stop motion. It was more traditionally blocked out um, film.
1: Yeah, and in some ways even more precisely blocked out because of the computer controls that they're they're having. Yeah, yeah. But I want to add that I think that they still use 24 frames a second
0: for the CG elements, whereas the motion control, i mean, sorry, the stop motion is still 12. Shot in twos. Yeah. Yeah, which that's a great way to differentiate between them. It was tough for me when there's a, uh, early in the movie, there's a village scene and Kubo's, Interacting with the people of the village, and my brain just started like like you watching a CG costume in a Marvel film. My brain was just thinking, okay, which character is CG? Which character <laughs> right. is stop motion? Yeah. I know Kubo is stop motion. That old lady is stop motion. But you know that that was distracting yeah. to me. I would almost um, you know not try to create a perfect, convincing, endless expanse of a scene, and just focus on the art of animating the two characters talking to each other.
1: I was swept away by that movie. I can't wait to see it again. It, when I was watching it, I just felt in, in, like they were hitting all the right notes with the action scenes and the story elements. I'm a huge fan. Uh,
0: the, the other, like again, I can I I'm gonna actually I know that Adam wants to talk about Kubo also, so we'll probably talk about it in a future episode of Still Entitled. But the other recommendation you guys don't need a preview of this is uh, the Barry Barry Perves also did a um, a short film uh, called Tchaikovsky, an elegy and that may be one of the most beautifully animated uh, stop motion films I've ever seen. It hmm. has a stop motion puppet that's playing the piano like the fingers. And, and
1: the, he's actually playing the right notes? He's playing the right notes. That's wicked. Yeah.
0: All of those
2: are on Vimeo. We'll put them in the show notes. Awesome. Alright, uh, I
0: think is that it for technology? Technology news? today. No,
2: that's it for I'm pop, sorry, culture pop culture news. news. We've even on.
0: started the technology let's, news. let's move on to our next segment.
1: Technology last night at 4 a.m. There was a huge explosion on my street, and what? it turned out it was power for the entire neighborhood. Like a
2: substation blew up.
1: Yeah, yeah. Like, in next door lit up with what was that explosion? And, Whoa. and I like I didn't know. I just knew we lost power. And um this morning I saw the power crew out in front. It was pretty
2: exciting. Wow. Hey, how's your Yahoo email account doing, Norm? You mean my Flickr email account? <laughs> I changed all the passwords. I s- I had to go unearth my Yahoo account to change my password after the announcement of the breach this week where, what was it, 500 million accounts? They're saying the biggest breach of all time.
0: Now, this was not, the the breach didn't happen this week. The breach is actually maybe months old. And late 2014, years old. And they've known about it for months and have only recently disclosed it and to a point where their potential suitors, Verizon, is in the process of acquiring Yahoo, also didn't know about it. Ooh, I didn't know that. So that might jeopardize a sale? It may jeopardize <laughs> the sale and definitely <laughs> oh. jeopardize um, uh, Marissa Meyer's position after any potential acquisition.
2: Well, that I think was already in question. Uh, so there's two aspects of this. There's the, the breach itself, which is just so massive and, and how it went for a year without uncovering it. But then there's a second aspect to this that it was potentially state-sponsored, that this isn't a breach just by a rogue group. Yeah, some like 400-pound guy in in his mom's basement.
1: That's what Trump would say. <laughs> hey,
0: yes, yes, yes. yes it's, it's, <laughs> it's, 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 you're, that is what happened when What he said in the debate. How do you know it, that it's
1: state-sponsored?
2: No, they're just leaks that have said, that have indicated from Yahoo that it was state-sponsored, that there was more organization and infrastructure on this i don't know what that means at all and as far as i can tell there hasn't been any indication of which country or which um entity sponsored this but that's sort of the leak um their press release literally says quote when a company strongly suspects that a state-sponsored actor yeah so it, it it is out there is this like something companies do you think they're happy about saying it's state sponsorship
1: because it's almost an excuse like, what can we do about that? Like you know how unfair, right? like that th- like they're much more powerful than we are, of course, I mean, of course, a state could get into our system. It wasn't like a lo- regular hacker. It was a state hacker, so you don't buy it. no, i I do. I just wonder like if this is part of an excuse if if they're if they're not entirely sure it's a state censorship, but saying that excuses them to some degree.
2: I mean, it definitely deflects the the criticism of Yahoo a yeah. little bit. So, I, I mean, we need evidence now. Right. Like, we want to see what evidence it is. I really want to know why it took so long to disclose, to find it, first of all. If it took a year to find a breach of 500 million uh, accounts, that should, shouldn't that, I mean, maybe I'm being myopic here. Shouldn't that be easily located? You would think that they would be alerted when it was happening. Well, that's the goal. But, like, we, to, we live in a world where these kinds of hacks happen yeah. quite often. But taking a year to figure out it did happen, and mm-hmm. then taking another three to six months to disclose it because you're trying to sell your company—that's the shadiness. Yeah, that's shady.
1: And what was stolen? It was it was
2: usernames, hashed passwords, any credit card info? No, I didn't see anything about credit card info. Um, but now my college uh, fantasy uh, uh, picks Uh-oh. are going to be compromised. Oh no! The only thing I still use Yahoo for sports. So. Uh, I'm pretty worried. I, I know what I'm going to claim when I, if I lose my my um, league this year. It was a state-sponsored <laughs> actor that really caused this. All right, on to something a little bit more positive.
0: Did you see the DJI announcement yesterday? You know, not only did I see it, I'm literally right now publishing our hands-on <laughs> preview of that quadcopter that's cool I was so I got, you
2: got hands-on with the mavic
0: we did so yeah Jeremy uh, Jeremy came along last week got a pre-briefing of this new quadcopter drone uh Jeremy you were there you want to talk a little bit about, about the product sure yeah I mean first of all Dji seems to announce a new quad
1: every year at the longest amount of time
0: except for the inspire one no, no yes oh you're right model. a new
1: version of the inspire yeah. one yeah, yeah. They're, they're just they're so busy over there this is a very unique product though because it, for the first time that they're not advancing forward into the more expensive range and more professional range, they're actually trying to hit a new niche. So this is a, a collapsible quad. Yeah, it would, it's foldable, yeah. So, completely toolless, all of the wings and the propellers themselves fold up into I, a very small amount of space. That you, you can't fit it in a pocket, but you could certainly fit it in like a fanny pack or something like that. Yeah,
2: it seemed like when it folded down, it was maybe like the width of your laptop.
0: Oh, well, much smaller than that. Oh, yeah. really? It's very tiny. It's like, What's a good comparable size? Um, It's bigger than a pencil box, (laughs) smaller than a loaf of
1: bread. It's pretty awesome. And and so that's the most compelling aspect to me is that you could – this is really portable. You could throw this in a suitcase no problem. Take it with you on a trip if you It's backpackable. It's totally totally backpackable. I wouldn't say – Percival? For Well, no, maybe not perceivable. But like for me, I wish I could take my quad back east when I go to family reunions. But it's like an ordeal. This I could throw in a suitcase, no problem, and it would be completely fine because the quad, the uh, propellers are protected, and then it unfolds very quickly, no tools required. And then you, it has a whole new controller which has a display on it. You don't even need to use a cell phone as the display because it gives you the pertinent information on this new display that's on it, and it's uh, it's pretty neat. It doesn't. It, the, le, the camera's not quite as good as the other uh, quads, where it's not as wide angle. It has a decent sensor, but the angle's not quite as wide. Um, and the, it, you can fly it with just a cell phone, which... Wi-Fi? I, yeah, which makes it act like one of those Parrot AR drones, um, which is not a very <laughs> desirable way
0: to fly a quad. But it's there if you want it. So yeah, portability is obviously the, the big thing. And um, you know, we talked last week about the GoPro Karma, um, you know, their foldable drone and which has that unique feature of being able to remove the gimbal. And, you know, DJI, uh, I think their strength is, has always been in their tuning of their software and how well everything's integrated. It's almost, I dare to say, close to Apple-like. They have literally hundreds of engineers working on the firmware app and, and they sell not just the camera. You know, they buy camera systems but they and they make gimbals. But they sell also the speed controllers and the um, the sensors that you know that you can actually put in other drones uh, if you build your own. So the Mavic, um, it was it was long rumored. Uh, people kind of there was a video that leaked, and people knew that there would be some kind of small quadcopter coming out from DJI. I think it signals it's a very smart category for both GoPro and DJI and other companies to move into compact. Right, you already have these quads on the near high end. And you're not going to make a lot of money selling octo-quads octo or octocopters um, for the professional market. You know, you, they're there already. Um, they're going to sell a lot in that Phantom line, but they really want to make this into like the you know, the, the portability, like the like the under $1,000, you know, high-end toy line.
2: And just to put numbers on it for the listeners, it's about eight and a half inches by three and a half inches tall by yeah. three and a half inches or... Two hundred millimeters by eighty-three millimeters. Um so it is really tiny folded.
3: Yeah.
0: Let me, let me wait, hold on. Yes. Eight it's long ways, it's you know under a foot long, and it's uh box three feet, inches by three inches. That's correct. Um so uh the question was how, where would they compromise, right? What are the trade-offs when you design have to design a quad that's smaller? Because there are definitely trade-offs. Like that's why when you look at an Inspire versus a Phantom Four, just in the DJI lineup, there are trade-offs there. Um, I actually we talked about this, you know, after going on the Arctic trip, I'm actually favoring the Phantom Four a little more because of its versatility, because of the fact that you can catch it out of the sky, it doesn't take as long to set up, um, and it's still is just as strong to battle high winds, it has rock-solid stabilization. So what would be these trade-offs? With the Mavic, um, I think I was surprised that they included a lot of stuff that was in the Phantom 4. So you have your stabilization. It has GPS GLONASS satellite tracking, which is the the magic sauce that makes uh, these quadcopters stable when they're 100 feet in the air and Mm -hmm. look like they're tripods in the sky. It also has the down-facing sensors so that it can be tracked indoors. That's right. A camera and a sonar sensor facing down so you can fly them indoors. Uh, It has a a three-axis gimbal, a motorized gimbal for the camera camera system, which was a a big question. Can you put a gimbal? Because if you look at the Phantom 4, that's a big gimbal system that that camera is housed in. And gimbals are actually getting smaller. So they put a three-axis one on the Mavic. This all sounds great so far. I'm waiting for like the I'm, trade-offs. I'm, oh, we're going to get the, to the trade-offs, um, and then, uh, but the, the one immediate trade-off then is potentially image quality. They said you're, they have the same uh, sensor size that they have in the Phantom Four, which we're talking about basically a Co- GoPro sensor, a camera phone sensor. These aren't DSLR SAMS or even micro four-thirds or even inch one-inch size camera sensors. But the lens system, because they have to work with that small gimbal housing, the lens is actually. A weaker lens, it's near, a narrower field of view, not as many elements. Uh, you may get more vignetting looking at the footage. It still looks bright, and you can, yeah, you can shoot in 4K. Um, but it's doesn't, I, I don't think it, the image quality is to be as good as the Phantom 4. That seems it's like side an, by side. an
1: area where they could iterate easily for the next year for the next version of this camera,
0: yeah. And you know, when we talk about camera systems, it's more than just a sensor, there's sensor, there's lens. And then there's also processing. I think the processing is right. something that people often forget. I think people are finally starting to understand you know, sensor size is important. You know, Pixel size in the sensor is important. It's not just megapixels, but there are also lenses. And you have to consider not only the field of view of the lenses, but the quality of the optics. And then also the processing. If you remember with the, the Phantom line, those gimbals uh, were separated from the body. And the Phantom 2 had wires, so you had the vision processing inside the quad they've moved that since then to the camera system but without a lot of airflow from the mavic cuz it's pr- pretty tightly built camera housing um, i think that they there's a little bit of image quality compromising in the in the in the image processing uh, or potentially that's my concern um and then because you have a smaller quad itself you have um less potential for flying it um in high winds and longer distances so that's totally expected, though. It, it is and it isn't. I, I think that a lot of people, when they look at these specs, and I've seen a lot of people report on, on the Mavic and they say, it's just like the Phantom 4, it's just as powerful and it can fly even further because that's this new OcuSync uh, vision technology. Um, when we took it up to about 250 feet, we got a warning and the transmitter gives you a warning. Okay, the winds are pretty high here. It's fighting longer. What that also means is that when it's struggling, it's also using more power. Well, we didn't have a Phantom 4 to compare it to. Perhaps that would have gotten the same warnings. I've flown Phantom 4s in those conditions
2: and no warnings.
0: Mm. Um, Super solid.
2: It hasn't been crazy windy the past few days. That's when you did it too, right? Yeah,
0: I mean, it was on Treasure Island. So it's like standard Treasure Island wind, which we've done so much of our flight testing over Treasure Island. Um, I got to say though, it was remarkably stable when it was down low and it was pretty windy. And, And that's, I think, the right use condition. This is kind of like when you think of like the scale of where you're flying uh, with phantoms I have full confidence that you could take it a mile out no problem yeah. as long as you have a you know line of sight and good radio signal a mile out and it'll come home I have zero fear of that I don't know with this one I think this one's more of like flying in a the area of um like a like a track like a stadium like a football field that kind of area flying flying within Maybe a hundred yards of you, uh, as opposed to flying out you know several hundred yards away,
2: does it have the follow mode that the phantom 4 had?
0: It does, so there's still computer vision here. Uh, they say it 's improved i wasn't you didn't fan. like the phantom
2: 4 no i didn't of like, it.
0: It, like it because I think computer vision uh, works. there's an inverse between the usefulness of tracking and the size of the drone. The larger the drone is, the larger the quadcopter is, the less useful. Uh, com- computer vision and tracking is for you because then you can't get it real close to you. And also, you're not supposed to fly it as low because it kind of blows away everything underneath it. Uh, the Mavic being smaller actually may help its usefulness as a tracking camera. Um, but there's also sport mode too. So this is something that you hadn't tried, Jeremy, with the previous Phantoms, and Mm-mm. you I think you love this. It's much faster. It's uh,
1: you know, I guess you lose some of the obstacle avoidance tech, but it's like a race
0: car. You know, you floor it and it just dips and it
1: goes really fast and stops on a dime. Still, it's pretty awesome.
0: I think that's also the other thing you mentioned. There's obstacle avoidance, which they introduced with the Phantom Four, uh, front facing only. So, uh, if you fly in normal mode, not sport mode, and even at full speed, uh, it just it'll recognize obstacles in good lighting in front of you. And just stop.
1: There's there's a selfie mode too, where you where you can communicate to the camera with hand gestures. motions. Yeah. So if you do this, it'll like focus on you, and then it'll track you at that point. And then if you do this, it will actually take a picture. And
0: that worked pretty well. Um, no, that one was actually disabled uh, in the firmware. Um, the version we had. There are two new features. They're promising this. Yeah. So selfie mode, which I think is silly, um, gesture based selfie modes. Uh, And then also a terrain mode. Because you're going to have your
2: hands on the control anyway. Or someone's going to have it on the
0: control and can manually take a shutter. I think uh, the terrain mode is interesting because if you're flying and it sees a hill in front of you, it will actually use the obstacle avoidance to track up the hill and fly up at an angle, uphill only, uh, up to a 30-degree incline, which I think is useful.
2: Two, two last questions. I know you have a video out about it. You can yep. probably answer this. Uh, can you talk about batteries really quick?
0: Yeah, so... Um, new battery. New battery. You know, proprietary battery system just for this model. They're claiming 25 to 27 minutes of flight time, which is basically what they claim with the Phantom 4. That tells you that it doesn't use as much power as the Phantom 4. Lower RPM, smaller battery capacity, about 3,300 milliamp hours. Uh, but to get the same amount of flight time as the Phantom 4... Um, It means it's not it's not as powerful uh, a drone, but also you take that with a grain of salt because that's with obstacle avoidance turned off, and that's also not while shooting video, which video doesn't consume a ton of power, but it can, Uh, and that's with not transmitting 1080p video; it's only 720p to your phone, and that's not in sport mode. So it's in like your kind of search and rescue operations. Um, You know, you can get. Up close to half an hour if you're just using it as a way to fly out over someplace and, and see what's you know, see what's below you. Does it just come with one battery or does it come with two? Just the one battery. Uh there are two SKUs though. So this is something they didn't tell us until they announced it yesterday. Um there's a thousand dollar model, which has the new transmitter and like Jeremy said, has an on screen display, so you don't even need to use your phone. It's
1: not a video display, it's like an OLED text display.
0: Yeah, it reminds me almost like a old school like like Video game, yeah, like um, uh, those old LCD displays, um, and um, and there's also one without the transmitter that's 750 dollars, uh, which you only can fly with Wi-Fi, or you can buy a transmitter. Uh, I don't think the transmitter itself is worth 250 dollars. Well, it gets you that five kilometer range hypothetically. I think they. And not to mention like aggressively priced yeah. the Wi-Fi model to try to undercut the GoPro pricing of eight hundred yeah, bucks.
1: I agree, but I'm just saying that the controller's worth it because it unlocks so much potential.
0: Right. And so my wish is that it was I'm I was hoping, I mean, who knows? I want to test this out. I don't know actually how much it's worth, but for based on the specs and based on the, the limited flight time we had, I was hoping for something a little under a thousand dollars, like eight hundred bucks. Because at a thousand you could buy a Phantom Three. Phantom Three Advance. Less than that, now. Yeah. Yeah. I gotta tell you though, the compact
1: Aspect of this trumps all that stuff. I mean, the ability to throw this in a suitcase or whatever
0: you have, your weekend bag is really, really useful. It's so, a, not I mean,
2: carrying around a pelican case and stuff. Yeah, for exactly. like Yeah, it's the
0: that. it's the camera argument. It's the best camera or the best drone is the one that you can have with you at all times, right? Like, it's <laughs> it's it's the it's, best it, drone is the one you have on you. Yeah, it's I mean, great. it's it's a similar argument, right? Yeah. Like, you use the device more when it's more accessible and when it's more versatile. Um, so. The, you know, a lot of people buy drones and don't get a chance to fly it regularly because one, depending on where they live and regulations, but two, because it's a hassle yeah. to have it with you. I think the Phantom 4 was pretty compact. Like that styrofoam case it came in was, I mean, you could travel with that. That can go in overhead. It, it's not baggable. But I mean, yeah, it's not
2: baggable. It doesn't fit with your other stuff. Right.
0: Yeah. Uh, the other trade off on which one last thing is that there are no struts. So the camera system is isn't like drooping below the uh the the quadcopter like with the previous one so you can't actually turn when you're flying 360 around you're basically flying forward and looking forward um oh yeah right that's not your one last thing and and also, we have
2: we have one one last thing on this that I don't think you guys <laughs> tested um the flight goggles that they oh, announced they yesterday
0: so briefly uh mentioned that in our briefing that because they're using this new uh Ocu Video Transmission Technology, they said 8 millisecond latency for a digital signal, which is really low. Uh, they are going to, this supports, the transmitter supports plugging in FPV goggles. Which... And they have their own set of FPV goggles. Oh, they do. Okay. Yeah,
2: they pulled it, like they showed it. It fits in like a small backpack. It's, you know, looks very Oculus-like, except they're white and kind of clean looking. Um, but they're deeply immersive if you watch the announcement.
1: Um, I'd love to see these in person. I mean, usually people who are doing quad FPV are using RF signals because you need extremely low latency uh, not to crash the thing. Yeah. <laughs> so it'll be... I'd love to try this if they really got a Wi-Fi signal down that that low.
0: Uh, do you care that they're being sold in Apple stores? They've they've had a good relationship yeah. with Apple. They sold the Phantom 4 in Apple stores. It was a big deal for them. You know, Apple only allows certain products. And, they have, you know, yeah. they, these are... At some point, or I, guess, I guess with an iPhone being about 700 bucks, the iPhone is accessories of the quadcopter or is the quadcopter accessories of the iPhone? <laughs> I don't know. It's like how you think about, you know, if you spend a, a $1,500 on a new big screen TV, at some point, is your game console the accessory to the TV or is your TV the accessories of the game console? It's one of those things. Um, yeah. Can't wait to test it. It's coming out um, in October. Uh, I think they're open for pre-orders uh but i like that there's competition in on the GoPro side and it's i'd like that you can we'll we'll be able to directly compare those
1: i see volumetric display on this list of show notes and i don't know anything about this
0: yeah so uh this is another uh, new product and th- this is something super interesting to me as an emerging technology uh there's a company called looking glass factory and uh you may they may they might sound familiar because we have encountered them at maker fair numerous times uh, they made two products before that were um, interesting visualization tools, we'll call them. Uh, one was a, th- not 3D printed, but like a a 3D image uh, encased in plastic. Um, like a static image? Static image. Hmm. They would take 3D models and they would put them in like this clear plastic and you would get like a floating model of an animal or a portrait of someone
1: i've seen people laser like resin so they laser dots and they so lots of dots in the center right something. is that kind of the same idea
0: this is full color oh wow yeah so they did that years ago it was like their first product they handmade them um, and the way they did full color actually was uh they had 70 each model each volume was 70 slices of of um of data, mm-hmm. so they took a 3D model, slice it 70 times, um, and then l- layer by layer, stacked them in this clear b- block of plastic. Um, after which, if you look at it from most angles, you will be able to see a 3D object. Uh, if you look at it perfectly from the left or right side, mm-hmm. uh, it would disappear because then you look right along the slices. Oh, cool! Yeah, um, which like that's like I think that was a the way they could manufacture it this way. Um, Here, I've so- a uh, Jeff up. On well, th- this is the new thing. So I'm talking about their first product. Their second product was called the L3D Cube. I have that. You have it, right? I have the um it's, it's eight by eight. Yeah, eight x yeah, eight x eight. We did a we did a video about it. I think they did a four by four by four, yeah. eight by eight by eight, and I think they even had one that was like sixteen by sixteen by sixteen at Maker Faire. That once. was like a thousand bucks, yeah, of, at least. Yeah. Um, and th- this was like that uh cube, hypno that Will and I made for the the tested video series. Uh, in that it was a a matrix of um, of LEDs, uh, they were able to do this because they found cheap RGB LEDs. They were actually front facing only. Well, they were like, surface mount. Surface the That's
1: ones right. you made were not. Like you had to solder every single LED. Right, right, right. right. Their kits were much easier because you only had to drop these LED sticks into the holes. Oh, so you just it.
2: made a string essentially of LEDs.
1: Um, well, they just ship with these little strip, these sticks oh so you are just 8 tall got it and then you fill in the, the the gaps it took about an hour to build the whole thing
0: um and uh it, i mean i think that was a really cool product and it was it was like a nice like mood light type of thing yeah. and at 8 by 8 by 8 pixels that's how many pixels is that um it's uh 64 8 yeah. uh, i can't do the math right now uh Kishore. Oh, you want me to do the math. <laughs> uh that's uh 512. That's right. 5 512 pixels. Um you can't resolve a 3D image in 512 pixels.
1: No, it's very it's just, abstract. It's yeah, pat- very abstract.
0: Waves of light. Mm-hmm. Um and you can do a lot of cool programming tricks to to make a great visualization. One of the built-in things was fireworks, for example. Right, and you can kind of abstractly see fireworks. It's kind of akin to the game frame. For the game frame, you have 256 pixels on a 2D plane. 2D. They're talking about 512 on a 3D plane, which you need a lot more. Uh, And then even with the 16 by 16 by 16 you could barely, you can see like floating shapes, right? But you couldn't resolve a full image. Uh, So this company has a new product called Volume, where they're claiming it's 2 million pixels in a kind of volumetric area. And 2 million just makes me think of, well, oh, that's uh, that's 1080p. Is that right? That's the number of pixels on 2D plane in a 1080p. Yeah, okay. So the way this works is they're shooting a 1080p Pico projector through some special optics. And just like when we talked about how their first product had created a, a volumetric image through 70 slices. Yes. This one is basically a volume of ten slices, and they split two million pixels across ten different layers to then create a volumetric image. Does this
2: mean I can make my own like Tupac on stage? <laughs> you can make yeah, like make that a, hologram,
0: like a, like a floating yeah. Wait a um, so it's like there are ten different perspectives you can get. No, no, no. Um, think of uh, it's not exactly a cube, but for the sake of this explanation, let's call it a cube. Yeah. Right. In the cube. To see a uh, a flower, uh-huh. right? Uh, you, you imagine the cube being sliced in the 10 individual planes. A vertical or horizontal? Vertical planes. Okay. Right, 10 vertical planes. And um, each of those planes are a slight angle. Yeah, like the, a
1: lenticular display. Kind,
0: right? no, 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 no. But no, not looking forward at it. They're sliced vertically going front to back. Okay. And the pico projector shoots light from the bottom
2: up uh uh-huh. I'm gonna show Jeremy as you're talking about this, so he gets it. Do you get it? No, not one bit. <laughs> not one bit. It's it's. So I don't like, get how
0: it works, but I understand the perspective. So that you see, talking about. light shines from the bottom up. Yeah, and a 1080p image is split into ten sections, each section being 1920 by 100, oh. and each, yeah. each then each. In section of nineteen twenty by one hundred uh-huh. gets spread across okay. one of those planes. So you don't, you don't actually change your perspective
1: on each of the slices as you move your head around. You still get just you, one perspective. You still get one perspective, but you get a different perspective on the slices.
0: Yes, and the way the slices are slot are stacked. Yeah. these tent gives you then angular, uh, gives you parallax, and that works. Does it look volumetric to you? It looks volumetric from a certain angles from the front. The sides are blocked off yeah. because well, I understand that. Because but, if you look from the side, you see between the but slices, it does work from the front, you it move around work. a little bit. So, wicked. the conversation we had was like, one, how did you choose 10 slices, and two, how did you choose 1080p? The second answer question is easily answered cost, right? Like, yeah, 1080p Pico projectors is what makes this product possible, and it's a developer version. Um, they're doing pre orders, but. Hopefully, going forward, you want to double that to 4K, you want to go higher. More slices. more, And you want to go more slices. Yeah. 10 slices is a good trade-off for them because with 1080p, if you more slices, each slice is going to have less pixels right. to spread across. And they felt that at 10 slices, based on their experiments, it's enough to create a, a volumetric image. Huh. You would think you need more. And obviously you would want more in the future. Yeah. But then you also run into opacity problems too because each of these slices needs to be on transparent film. And you want to be able to see through the rest of it when no image is being displayed. So how do they project an
1: image into the center of these slices?
0: It's across all... So each of the slices is at an angle.
1: Oh, so it's projecting up. Up. So this is like the raw video is just wicked, just deformed.
0: The the raw video looks like... And they they process it in real time. So you input like... you know something from Unity. Yeah, um, it actually runs. It's just HDMI into the Pico projector. But if you look at the raw feed on like the iPad, yeah, you see like, yeah, you look, can it, see it here, it, distorted like ten image, ten ten slices of compressed image. It's like the forced perspective paintings. It, yes, like like those. Fo- and, um, and the you saw this in person? Yeah, they brought it here. We have we we'll have a video going up uh, as you guys are listening to it later today.
2: And so. I mean, everything you're talking about really brings back the idea of those holograms from like the eighties and nineties that were all the rage in a box in, yeah, yeah in a box with which much more depth,
0: but was the experience of it better than those holograms? Uh, yes and no. So there are a lot of like Pepper's ghost style holographic tricks with mirrors that you can't interact with. And this one I could move you know around it I can look behind it. Um, the thing that interests me is how does having a 3D visual object in the real world, because you can put on VR goggles, right? Like I could put on sure. VR goggles and I can interact with a 3D model. But how does having a 3D, even a low, relatively low resolution 3D model in the physical world change collaboration and change design? Yeah. If I'm a sculptor and I'm looking at a 3D light model, even if it's only 2 million pixels at most, does that change how I can like, visualize and work with that that digital material i wasn't thinking about that
2: at all i was thinking about in a more harry potter way of like bringing like the images in my house to life Mm. like there's a way that um um that this would just give uh motion to a lot of the memories that you create like you'll go to like you know kind of tchotchke kind of uh, tourist traps and they'll like 3d print. they'll make a a 3D uh, version of of a family portrait in a cube for you nowadays, and this is this might be a nicer version of that.
0: So I'll, that's the other question: What is the content that fits on here? So right?
1: that wasn't like, my question. I assume everything that they showed you was CG rendered.
0: No, really. Um, well, how do you capture real world? Right. How do you do that? We're well, going to have to watch the video. I think. <laughs> no, I'll, I'll explain it real quick. simply. Uh, they're I mean, they want developers to create the tools to do this, but they talk about how. There are technologies like the occipital uh, uh, sensor, um, dual camera systems that Mm -hmm. do depth mapping. You know, connect basically. Yeah. That can capture both video and create depth maps, and you know, there's a new product that does that in the market. The iPhone creates depth maps, yeah, but also video. That would just be the silhouette, like the outside of the shape. But they can still capture that. Yeah. And it's like Minority Report. Do you remember Minority Report when Tom Cruise was watching video of his wife and his son? and it was almost like a depth map like a a flat video image projected on top of and they had no back to it right but it was on, yes. it was on top of a model like a connect capture they can display those type of connect captures and video on on this on that's this cool and you can re- they recorded it we did a demo where we recorded it with the occipital sensor here in this room um and then we play video right back on the volume and I could look around and you can't look all the way around it because that's that's the capture. And it doesn't take a ton of time for it to, for the no, processing. No. Cause you're just, I mean, the display itself is a, once you get past like the original concept, there's not a lot of processing going on.
2: No, but to right. cut it's them just, into slices on the yeah, computer didn't yeah. take that long. Not that long at all. I like these guys. They're, yeah. like, they're just thinking outside the I, box. And they said, like, this is experimenting or inside a box oh, in right. this case. Thanks for volume. There you go. Yeah, <laughs> we got to bring this back online. Will you be hear all podcasts? I don't like my brain is a little bit broken <laughs> with some of the yeah. the in-depth drone discussion in this light mapping. I don't even know what to call that. Do I mean, they
0: have a name for it? It's called volume. Uh, regardless of whether it takes off, um, like their developer version is a thousand bucks. It's, you know, it's, it's, they've said very clearly this is not the consumer buy it at Best Buy version. Um, I'm excited that someone's experimenting with this. It's pre order at a thousand dollars. It goes it, up. Right, right. Pretty it goes quickly. up for early access and it won't ship till next year. But like, I like that people are doing this. Yeah. And I like that even if the product fails, it, it will maybe teach us something interesting about human computer interaction and visualization tools and like that's it's a it's a great mindset i just like that we're still at the point where even it took me a while but i can actually wrap
1: my head around how a volumetric display works like that's that's cool at some point i'm not gonna be able to do that anymore it's just gonna be like photons being shot into some crazy material that has some physics, physics properties i don't understand
2: just wait till we start talking about teleporting photons
1: Yes, yeah. You lost me already.
2: Yeah. You Yeah. Well, we haven't even started talking about Elon Musk yet, and we're all like our brain is fried. And that's like the big thing. Which is coming. Which is coming.
0: It's it's coming. Um why don't we fire through the rest of the tech news? Great. Uh are new Roku's.
2: Yeah, so they've rebranded their lines from one, two, three to uh, I think it's called Express Premiere and Premiere Plus. Uh, basically, Express is going to cost $30. It's going to broadcast and uh, it's going to stream in HD. It has a dual-core processor, so it'll be twice as fast as the current Roku one. Can't beat $30 if you just need real basic streaming in HD. Premiere is when you get to 4K. It's 4K rendered at 60 FPS. Uh, I think it's 80 bucks, um, and it has a quad-core processor in it. Uh, Premiere Plus is when you get up to HDR uh, included with, with that 4K I'm a huge Roku fan. I have a two and a three in my house right now. I see not much value uh, in going um, uh, to the uh, Premiere unless I have I don't have a 4K TV, but that's what I would get the Premiere if I had a 4K TV. 60 FPS is enough for me. I don't have an HDR TV, so I can't see myself doing that. But man, if you just need HD, 30 bucks is unbeatable for what Roku has to offer. Uh, I should mention the, you know, Premiere Plus at the top end, that also has an SD slot and some other features. But uh, I generally think it's great. Form factors also reduced a lot, so it's a lot slimmer, um, a smaller set-top box. I think when you compare Roku's generally uh, across to Apple TVs and, and other set-top boxes, I think cost comparison is a huge advantage in their performance performances on sure. par.
0: Wow, that was... Okay, all right. Next up. Was that flash? Yes, (laughs) that's good. Uh,
2: Blackberries. Sorry, no more hardware. Yep, they announced this week. QWERTY's gone. Out of the market. No more hardware. They're still licensing the Blackberry name, but they're not going to be making hardware anymore. Mm -hmm. But I mean, this has been coming, right? What do you
1: mean? I mean, what else are they going to do?
0: Software. They they sell an OS? They sell an Android, a version of Android. They can do... Yeah. I mean, we they, can they shed, mean build shed, some security tools for Yahoo employees shed a small tear. <laughs>
2: nice. uh, I think the one of the more interesting pieces that have come out this week is that Amazon is exploring what starting their own shipping company. Oh, yeah. no. To uh, basically get away from UPS and FedEx. So they have full control of that pipeline to the consumer. I and mean, most of the um, idea behind this is is about saving money because they can save hundreds of millions of dollars this way. This seems insane. I hope that
1: this is just a play for them to get better rates from the third parties because I love that they use UPS because it's it's reliable. I know my UPS guy; like they're on the they're on the ball about everything. Um, the Amazon delivery people,
2: no thank you. Like they'll drop the package in front of my house. They won't ring the doorbell. So the cl- the the official company stands is they're talking about this to uh, to add capacity during like the holiday season. But okay. there are sources that have said that this the plans are much bigger than that. Yeesh. Yeah, I think this is going to be. I mean, there's no way you hit the ground and it's perfect with something like this involving so many people and so many logistics uh, and so many processes. But I mean, are you
0: surprised if, if one company was to do it? Yeah, uh, right. It would be them or or Apple for specific product launches. Like Apple wouldn't want to do it, but like. I wouldn't yeah. even trust Apple
2: to do this. This is like Amazon's the only well, Amazon and Walmart are the only two that I would think that like have the kind of infrastructure you need for something like this to even be thought of.
1: I will say that the prime delivery stuff is decent. Like, cause that's, that's you mean the day of delivery, yeah, the yeah. day of stuff where they'll, they'll bring it to you within a couple hours in a bag and like use track it. You can see it, leave the
2: warehouse, follow it on the map and see it come to your house. I do like that aspect of it. I mean, do you think they could do that? Like they could partner with a, uh, a ride sharing type service to do their delivery system that way. Yeah. I don't know. It could, it could definitely work. That's something we're going to have to keep an eye on. Cause if that actually, if they go forward with this, it'll be like massive,
0: massive uh news. Now, something that's, I want to kind of go back to the beginning. Brief tangent. I want, I need a tangent. <gasps> no, no, that happens after a tangent. No, no. You know, one of the things I did when I uh, babysat for your, your kids this weekend mm-hmm. is we watched the movie Storks. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> is it bad? No, I, it's uh, Kelsey Grammer. Warner Brothers um, made it. Uh, the same people who did the Lego Movie. So, uh, oh, really? Uh, I mean, oh. The same, same, the same, the same studio. Animation, yeah. animation studio. And I think um, Chris Miller, Phil Lord had some input in it. So, I thought it was actually quite enjoyable. Um, but the funny thing is, the the premise of the film is that storks who used to deliver babies now don't deliver babies anymore and instead they are basically UPS and FedEx and they deliver for the internet's biggest real uh, uh biggest retailer not Amazon in that world and in that world it's a website cornerstore.com what <laughs> yeah
2: <laughs> Corner i've store. never heard of this i and, thought you
0: were at least going to say alibaba or something right and I like the whole time i was watching that <laughs> not the whole time but as i was watching it, i'm like wow was this was, was there at some point a discussion for um at Warner brothers to try to reach out to a big like Walmart or uh, Amazon and try to get like some branding partnerships here. Cause otherwise it seems very generic and it, it Pixar has done this with Wally. They had, um, uh, that's part of their kitsch though. Right. is like coming up with what, what kind of... by and large, yeah. which is a super clever name. Great. Like perfect as a fake Costco by and large, but cornerstar.com, like that is not a great name for an internet retailer. And then I go to cornersark.com and it's a real store chain. The small Wait, like registered like, by the studio? No, it's, it's a it re, has real stores in the southwest. <laughs> Congratulations
2: Texas. to them. Their web traffic is about to go up.
0: And it I'm like, really... "Okay, what is that deal?
2: with a website like, from the late 1990s now that we're looking at? It.
0: <laughs> it's like that They have Comic Sans as their font. This is terrible." So like, "What how did they get that deal?" that they would be the retailer for Warner Brothers. Uh, is it that's not it's not the same logo though is I it? I don't think that's the same logo as in The Storks movie. So Hey, if, they have more they...
2: followers on Twitter than Jeremy and I. That's we right. got to fix this. I wonder if they did 2 weeks ago. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> they joined
0: January of last year. I don't
1: no. know. You think it could be a
0: fake? It could be. It could be just it could be 100% pure marketing. Why would they, they have a whole Facebook account, whole Twitter account? That's weird. Like
1: they're loving life right now.
0: Yeah. Or or lawyers or or someone made a good deal or yeah. someone failed at making a good deal in the Warner Brothers side. Anyway, now is the appropriate time to bounce back up. Oh, really? <laughs> All
2: right. We, we have one last text or story. So last week we were out at lunch and um, Norm's watch pops up with the hey, it's time to breathe. And I kind of ridiculed
0: <laughs> Norm for that. I didn't stand up. I uh, Well, first of all, you ridiculed me, and then Jeremy took it one step further. I did? one. Yeah, you did. So <laughs> for people who don't know, um, Apple has a feature on their watch where it's a new app. Uh, I guess they want people to use apps. Uh, every once in a while, just like they have the notification, it's time to stand up. It's, it's not good. an app, though. It's like part of the phone. I mean, part of the watch. No, there's an icon for it in the um, oh, really? in so the, can, the app oh, listing. I, know that. I don't know if you can delete it. It's like a stock app. We'll call it like the basic uh, default app. Uh, but it says it's a breathing time. Now it's time to spend the next 60 seconds and do a meditation exercise and breathe. N- and Now been, you know why I made fun of you. And okay. I tried to do it. Uh, I've, I've been trying to do it because I want to inculcate myself with the, the, the ecosystem t- as part of the testing. But um, the way it works is, you know, it does this ryth- uh, rhythmic tapping on your wrist to let you know to breathe in. Mm-hmm. And you want to take a deep breath. So it's this is quite long breathe in and then you breathe out and you do it for 60 seconds and it calculates your heart rate and it goes, good job. You know, your heart rate's like 70 beats per minute. Awesome. Uh, And I'm like, yeah, I'm doing this. And then Jeremy's like, yeah, I'm doing it too. And the thing I wish is that it had rhythmic beating to tell me how to breathe out. Yeah, I said that. Yeah, (laughs) is Isn't
1: that true? I mean, that's true for me because I felt like I was breathing too quickly. So it only tells you when to breathe in and then you just, unless you're watching your watch. You know, you can just breathe out. Yeah, I know all that. But then, like, my natural cadence would be to still be breathing out by the time the watch tells me to breathe again. And then that's not going to look like
2: I'm actually with Jeremy on this because, like, if you go to like a yoga class or a meditation class, they'll do both the intake and outtake. So, yeah, see, see, I'm with him. But you soon won't be alone, Norm. Uh, one of the largest healthcare providers here in the US, Aetna, has just partnered with Apple um, around CareKit. And they're going to give Apple Watches to each of their 50,000 employees starting next year Holy cow. Wow. Um, because they're going to start a new health-based system that relies exclusively on Apple products. So essentially, they're going to change their what? policy to potentially subsidize Apple Watches so that people will use CareKit more. Wow, that's how dentists start pitching specific toothbrushes. I know. And uh, and just so you have reference, Aetna covers 23 million people in this country when it comes to healthcare. Now, not all of those people will receive this coverage. I'm sure it's just the the sort of top flight kind of uh, healthcare care packages that have that. But even that that's a really big shift um, and they must see some real data and evidence that uh, that can actually that tracking and that data um, that's collected can actually inform um uh, better cost controls for them. I'm I'm a little shocked, but uh, Norm, I guess you're a sucker for buying your watch instead of waiting for your so insurance to come. Let me
1: ask you a question though: if yeah. you, if you don't have an Apple Watch, you don't even no. have an Apple phone. So, would if doctors said we are seeing we can make you healthier by wearing an Apple Watch, would you consider it
0: or lower your insurance premium if you follow uh, if you breathe properly and 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 you do you know all the breathing exercises? And things that your watch recommends? So for Norm's question, absolutely.
2: Like the lower healthcare costs, 100% I'm in. For yours, I'm kind of there. Like when you're in that doctor's office, at least for me, I feel really vulnerable and I'm very receptive to the kind of advice they give. Now, I've never had one tell me anything about technology, like make te- right. tech recommendations. But if they have real evidence that like, hey, you put this on, I'll get a, some of that data or you have the ability to send me that data and because you have an elevated risk for heart disease I think this will be good for you. Man, that's hard to turn down. Man, that's crazy. That's that's a whole new level of salesmanship to get science professionals to <laughs> encourage you to make tech purchases. I don't I don't really like it, but I mean it's a I think it's a smart move and we've made fun of CareKit, you know, because it's just that feel good part of some of those Apple presentations. Yeah. Well maybe, maybe this is part of a larger strategy within Apple.
0: Right. All right. I think that wraps it up for our technology news segment. But I do want to use this opportunity to thank the sponsor of this week's episode of the Zonia Test, and that's Audible. Uh, do you love books but find that you never have the time to read them? Well Audible.com has the perfect solution. Get audiobooks and listen to those books you've been meaning to and read while on the go. At the gym or during your commute, Audible has audible.com has the audiobooks from leading audiobook publishers, broadcasters, entertainers, magazine and newspaper publishers and business information providers. The app is free and works on iPhones, iPads, Android and Windows Phone and you can download and listen on your Kindle Fire at over 500 MP3. Players And unlike streaming or rental services with Audible, you own your books, so you can access your books anytime, anywhere, right from your smartphone. I've listened to quite a few books that we uh, talked about on Still Entitled uh, with Audible. And just for listeners of this podcast, though, you can get a free 30-day trial membership. Go to audible.com slash test. To start your free trial today. Again, show your support for our podcast by going to audible.com/slash test and getting a free 30-day trial. Now let's move on to our next segment.
2: Now it's time
1: for a moment of science. I just speaking of science, I and Audible. I just finished Redshirts.
0: Oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. Okay, great Hold on. book. It's like our discussion of the... I'm sorry, Kishore. <laughs> no, 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 no. Don't to apologize. Talk- I
2: love Scalzi, So I, like I this think...
0: Is- I, I actually was thinking about this earlier this week. When is... And when I was over at your house, when is Jeremy going to read Redshirts? Shirts? Yeah. I, and when, while watching Next Generation with your son. With Will Whedon, who reads the book. And with Will Whedon, who reads the book, you are the perfect person to read that book. What did you think?
1: I didn't love it. <laughs> well, maybe that's because you guys hyped it up so much. Like, <laughs> what? I know, you thought i was crazy about it. I'm mean, just saying that because I didn't like Ready Player One. Maybe. <laughs> but um, it was okay. I, you know, I just felt like it was a cute idea that was just, I, I wasn't on board with it. Like, just the premise. And I'm, I'm maybe you can even explain to me how can we talk about the plot or is it? Have you read you any of the Scalsey stuff? Yeah, I have. Yeah. And it's been more like real sci-fi. It hasn't been tongue in cheek in the same way that this book might be taken. Um, and so maybe I, I did like that aspect of it. I liked that it didn't take itself too seriously because I, I don't like Neil Stevenson even is just like really serious. Yeah. And and I dig the the, the cuteness of this book. On the other hand, like I really, I didn't buy the whole premise, um, although I was along for the ride and I finished it.
2: All right, we, oh. we're going to have to save this for another we're time we're gonna, because this either. is going to be a big discussion. So no. next week, we're <laughs> going to tell Jeremy no, it, I'm wrong. why John Scalzi's Red Shirts is a classic. Well, we'll do a, a spoiler cast intro on Red Shirts. Great. Oh boy. All right, I'm going to get serious here because it's time to talk Elon Musk. This week in Elon Musk. This is it. This is all this, I wanted to talk about today. Uh, we got to get serious here so elon made an announcement about becoming a multi-planetary species at the international Astronautical congress which was in mexico this week and they live stream spacex live streamed his talk which was almost two hours including the q a uh initial reactions before we dive into what he talked about like
1: i can't believe that this isn't Headlines everywhere kind it of It is news. headlines everywhere. I mean, I feel like this is akin to the Kennedy's let's go to the moon speech.
0: But, okay. But, you know. I have no n- doubt that that's what Elon wanted it to feel like. Unfortunately,
1: he's not the orator that John F. Kennedy was. <laughs> no, Elon's not a good presenter. <laughs> right. So I think that's the major problem here. But the the actual ideas that were presented were just, I think the audience was just, they didn't know what to say it this is huge
0: norm your reaction i think you could say as much as you want and but without the backing to show that it can actually happen it's just words it's all, it, all, borderline science fiction do you feel like so, it was a sales
2: pitch i think it was that's where i landed this was not a pitch to us this was selling people on a vision of the future to invest in not that was that was the largest the most widely viewed um vc pitch i've ever seen in my life (laughs) well they did the biggest kickstarter ever for tesla model 3 so uh so let's dive into it so uh we got to talk about the the first the the actual hardware that he's talking about the interplanetary transport system this is the uh, the idea of this is the largest rocket ever created it's bigger than the saturn V. as 28 million pounds of thrust which is five times the lifting capacity of the saturn V, which is and I think you guys talked about the Saturn V on Still Untitled this week. Yeah, we didn't. And it is massive. It is, yeah. when you, Especially when you see it in person. Yeah. Uh, this is a carbon fiber interior, and the models they showed are actual CAD drawings and renderings they've created. So even that image of, of the human looking out this giant window at Mars is real as it stands To now. scale. Yeah. Uh, the big part of this is that they basically launched this vehicle, the capsule... Disengages and stays in orbit. The booster, the main rocket, comes relands, which we know SpaceX can do. Uh, basically, gets another capsule, goes back up to space, and then fuels that first vehicle so it can shoot off to Mars. There's multiple fuel links. Yes, but that that idea yeah. of like a orbital based fueling is one of the key components here that we should talk about, and Ooh. we'll get into the science of the actual fuel mix and why there's a new fuel being. Uh, Talked about when we say
0: orbital base, you're talking about how many jumps to Mars, how many steps. Well, um, that pathway
2: to Mars actually kind of gave me a headache because there's a lot of things that are omitted from that. If you're going to be skeptical of something, there's this big slide he puts up where it shows like the six steps, I think it was, to Mars. He omits some really, really critical components in there, Um, but he's talking about getting a thousand ships essentially in. in orbit so that they could do the, these um, maneuvers because they each hold about 100 humans and he wants to get a million people living on Mars.
1: Well, and he says that there's windows to go to Mars every 26 months or two. Because the months? orbits become closer
2: right. and since fuel is a limiting factor here, that's when we have to actually do the launch. So we would take those two years to stage the ships until they take off
1: Battlestar Galactica style to Mars.
2: Breaking news, really into bsg i thought that was one of my favorite things he's like that was a great show uh a, piece it's of a science sol- fiction uh, uh it's a solar powered array aboard the ship um that helps power it and the idea is you'll transport a lot of solar arrays to mars so that once it gets to mars those solar arrays can power the generation of more fuel on the surface using water and and carbon from the atmosphere so
1: the the spaceships are also landers. They land vertically on Mars, and then because Mars isn't a gravity well as strong as Earth is, it doesn't need a booster to lift off. It
2: doesn't need as much.
1: It doesn't need us. a booster rocket. Mm-hmm. So the lander itself can then take off from Mars and then return home
2: this, one day. What you just talked about is probably the most specious part of the science um, that was represented: the lander being the, no. the landing on Mars and the lift off from Mars. That yeah. was all. We don't know anything about that. Yeah, we don't have a map yet. <laughs> we don't have anything akin to that. I mean, if you just talk to some of the flight engineers from Curiosity about what was omitted from that piece, it, it's
0: pretty gigantic. I mean, to me, this felt like the 21st century version of those children's books, you know, those, those like 70s and 80s era space speculation books. Like, we can do this and we can do that. Um, which were wonderful for the imagination, but not so much for actually getting things done. Yeah, but this isn't This isn't like... Oh, I feel like they've done some research.
1: They've been working for a long time on this. They've made serious accomplishments already. They've landed rockets back on Earth. Yes, yes. And on
0: that is true. platforms in, this, in the ocean. That is true, in this scale of this, it is closer to concept art. But this isn't...
1: Is, where will we be 50, 100 years from now? He wants to send off the first ship to Mars in 10 years. Yeah, and, and so, that's
0: the one thing that... That I'm glad I'm younger than Elon, and everyone here is younger than Elon Musk. Yeah. Because the egos of people like Jeff Bezos and Elon Musk right. accelerates all of this because they want to be alive to see it. Exactly. I mean, Neil Tyson talks about how
2: the Cold War got us to the mood, not like some speech from JFK. It was the race, the competition against Russia is what got us there. And when we figured out Russia had no real capabilities to actually get to the moon, that's when that stopped. Yeah, so it's the egos of billionaires. If the ego of billionaires can get us to Mars, then by all means, Elon Musk, you're the greatest-looking, smartest person ever imagined. (laughs) But at the same time, we have to be honest about certain things. I understand your skepticism, Norm, but this was a pitch for $30 billion because that's the estimates of how much money it would take to fund this if it goes perfectly. Well, and, but he did talk about a Venn
1: diagram about people who want to go and people who can afford to go. Yeah. So now, granted, there's going to be a lot of investment in making this even possible. But for a ticket, he's saying initially the tickets will cost about a half a million dollars. And he, he can see that coming down over time to under 1000 under hundred thousand dollars. Two hundred thousand. Two hundred yeah. thousand. Eventually, under a hundred thousand. Yeah, you could sell your house and go to Mars. Uh, and like, sell I sell your think... house and die on Mars. And he's well, he, yes, po- probably. But he like that you're talking about a million people.
0: I I bet that that could possibly happen. Just like if you you're the first five people to get the Teslas and you get the VIN number zero zero one, you can get <laughs> Mars VIN number t- ID tag number it, 00, we 0, 0, ma- 00508. We I, can
2: make jokes about it, but there there's no doubt there's millions of people on this planet that would ache to be the first to go to Mars, first be in that cohort. And even one-way trip, right? yeah. one-way trip, right? Yeah, one way, yeah, 100%. I mean, we know there's the Mars One project going right now, which is this, this sort of social engineering project for candidates to come forward and
0: go through this rigorous process. Guess to- what? I think the Venn diagram of people who, one, really want to go to Mars, and two, have the resources and money to go to Mars, the diagram of that, those people and the diagram of the people who should be going to Mars and may be the best <laughs> mentally and capable are probably not highly intersecting. That's interesting.
2: That's, that's probably true. I think that's so far away from where we are now. I think that discussion is more seven eves than science reality. Uh, I think the science reality now that he represented w- was sort of twofold for us to really think about. One, this idea of orbital refueling is a conversation that comes up quite a bit. And if he's pushing that conversation forward, um, great. The idea of the new fuel mix is actually really interesting. So right now, SpaceX launches, uses a mix of kerosene and liquid oxygen, and he's talking about moving to a uh, cryogenic methane oxygen mix. That is some of the most dangerous mixes on ever conceived. Like he, You've heard Adam talk about how they would never use liquid oxygen on Mythbusters because it's one of the most dangerous things. No, no, man, this is true here. He makes a good case for it being used as a propellant because it's the kind of propellant that can be generated on Mars. Mm -hmm. We can't make something as complex as kerosene there. It it also probably doesn't have any benefits. There's a lot of good science there um, that still has to be developed out, but there's some thoughtful stuff there. The idea of sending solar arrays there. Great. And solar on board. He underestimated the, uh, according to a lot of uh, people at NASA, he underestimated the amount of power that solar uh, panels need to generate for that ship to go. And I think it said 200 kilowatts. We think it's a, a factor of five more than that. Uh, so there's some good stuff in there. He omits anything about the trip itself. Well, except like the most, the most like weird part
1: of the whole presentation where he takes about 45 seconds to talk about what a good time you'll have. Yeah, you can. There'll
0: uh, be a hot tub where you can chat with other people about about a uh, simulated simulated universe. He didn't say there'd be a hot tub. He did <laughs> yeah. say there would be a freaking restaurant, though. Oh, yeah, he and, did. And there
1: would be games to play. You'd play zero G games. He talked to him, and then he just threw out. There'd be electric
0: balls. So this the, that, that is the concept, I, that that's part of it. it's like concept art. Who's, but I want to be like the Chelsea guy, of Bonacal, like. S- somebody's job is to c- come up
1: with those games Yeah, the Zero <laughs> Tree chip. That's the greatest job in the history of the Jay- world. Jamie, Jamie a Video
2: game designer for Musk One. Yes. Oh my God, it's going to be called Musk One. Um, but <laughs> what's important though is he doesn't, like there was no mention of like how we protect the humans on board from the radiation, which is a big right. hurdle we haven't talked about. The landing uh, on mars which we, i kind of alluded to this idea of doing a vertical landing and landing on a pad uh, it doesn't work the same way because of, of different atmospheric conditions there so they have to think that through a lot more and have a lot of test cases expect robots to go to mars i mean this was a pitch for money to send robots to mars in the to way to build some infrastructure and do a lander. to yeah.
0: minimize death and casualty so that elon can be First person. The
2: stuff I would be really skeptical of that you've seen in the media media is anything that says like, wow, SpaceX just ran circles around NASA. Nope, not one bit. This is really about combining a lot of information that NASA has and then pulling a lot from from um, pop culture to create a
0: a pitch around that. And bypassing a lot of the the risk assessment. And I don't think he's bypassing it. I think he omitted it for this talk. Right. And, and I mean, he can get away with uh, this type of private organization can get away with a lot of things that NASA couldn't get away with. Yeah. I will say the thing that I'll remember from
2: this, I mean, besides the video, which is, you know, kind of slick and nice to look at his. Argument that we need to be a multi-planetary species uh, the morning after whatever that debate was that we watched was resonated with a lot of people, I think. The that we can't think of ourselves as, as being uh, just living on this one planet. Um, and I think that's what people are going to remember from this talk. Another thing that,
1: that he left out that he only alluded to in the video was that we would
2: terraform Mars. He didn't mention terraforming. The video just shows that's Mars I mean. being terraformed yeah. over time, um, which uh, was, again, that little touch of, of science fiction coming coming out. But... He, you know, but he did say we could warm it up. Yeah. Well, it's, I don't think warmth is, is the, is the biggest issue they face there. There's a lot of other, like, can we even grow food on Mars? Can yeah. we, uh, can we create, um, uh, atmosphere from some of the, um, elements that exist on Mars in terms of the ice caps and generating some of the, wa- uh, turning some of the water there into much more breathable oxygen for the inhabitants. All of those are big questions. I just think it's this is just fascinating. We we could potentially see people on Mars, you know, relatively soon. So as as much as I'm in the middle of the two of you on this issue, I think this is a net positive. Like, when is it a bad thing for somebody to talk about? Uh, are inspire people to go to Mars. I right. just don't see that. I'm never going to say that's a no, bad the thing. The
1: idea that there will be their own political mm-hmm. system there, mm-hmm. that there will be... I'll going to take it's an bad thing. objection. T- t- objection a
0: norm. I'll tell you, it's, it's a bad thing when that type of speech inspires people to try to make a ton of money as fa- quickly as possible to pay for a ticket as opposed to being engineers and scientists and astronauts and, and being the best that humanity has to offer there's a, so
2: you might say the hype gets out of control. It's not like there's a pre-order button on the SpaceX website.
0: Okay, <laughs> I'm see. sure, I'm sure if they did the market research, there absolutely would be. Yeah. Just like just like Virgin uh, Galactic. They're, you know, pay your ticket now, people have paid, have booked the seats. You know, Sh- people Shatner is going to take his take his $100,000 whatever he took away from from uh, from investing on a seat on Virgin Galactic and put it in this. Dude, I
1: I don't, I don't necessarily think that you're looking at this from the biggest lens here. I mean, one way to earn that ticket is to become an engineer. And there's plenty of people who are 10 years old right now who see this and they're like, what? Mind blown. And that's what I hope. And now that's, and they're like, SpaceX is the coolest company ever. I want to not only like buy a ticket, I want to work for them. That's
0: the hope. Yeah.
2: I think it's an overall positive. Um, And uh, he omitted a lot. that You shouldn't be excited that this is happening on the time scale that he... He uh, promised. I mean, we have the Tesla car delivery schedule to show you that Elon doesn't nail his time delivery. He even admitted as yeah. much. Yeah. But um, I'm actually really hopeful. Uh, and the last thing I'll leave you with, my favorite thing that I saw from this was uh, when they opened doors to the to this actual talk. Mm-hmm. There's basically a stampede of people like full Black Friday moment of people running in. Ah, uh, to get seats and like kind of pushing each other and stuff. And now, while I don't endorse that,
0: it's hard to argue with
2: that kind of cult of personality
0: that uh, he yeah. uses. Well, he... few few people have the science the the type of reality distortion field effect. Yeah. that like people like Steve Jobs and Elon Musk and like in, in this in the technology sector.
1: Do you feel like the recent uh, SpaceX explosion, the launch pad explosion? left a kind of a bit of a wake that this presentation had to exist in. No, as as I watched the video, which everyone should go watch of, of the, of the move from, from earth to Mars. Um, I, I saw so many aspects that could fail and I don't know if I would have been as pessimistic had I not just seen this explosion.
2: I actually didn't feel that the, that explosion got so much coverage that it was in the ether, like the way challenger was. Um, like Challenger was a palpable, like we need to stop and rethink things, mm. and it's still like we still remember the moments when that exploded, and obviously there are humans on board, so it makes big difference. So I haven't heard that kind of level. I like most of the stuff that I've heard is really about how that puts them behind schedule for this, and that cascades. Um, and so while this is a a nice sort of blip, that's an uptick from that. I don't I don't really think that it was um, that was a major catastrophe that derailed the whole thing. All right. We have two other science stories. All right. Really quickly, uh, for the first time ever, and this is just a claim, we have a baby that has three genetic parents. Human? Human.
1: What?
2: All right. So this is a weird story, and it's a bit of a mystery. So there was a set of... (laughs) It's a mystery because we just don't know all the information yet. Set of parents in New York... They have, uh, the mother has a genetic uh, condition uh, where basically it's a mitochondrial disease, mitochondria being like the energy factories in your cell. And um, the mitochondria get passed through maternal lines into the baby. They've tried to conceive two babies. Both of them passed away from this disease. So they had a third baby. And what they did is they worked with a, a researcher that took them down to Mexico, basically took the nucleus, uh, uh, the mitochondrial n- um uh, bits and the nucleus out from from the mother inserted it into a donor which they had extracted the, those pieces from, and then the father's sperm was used to in like an i v f way to- Im- impregnate this so basically they have an egg sort of architecture from a donor mm-hmm. bits of the mom that's in there to to be inside that egg donor, and then the father's sper- sperm so what's the chromosome split uh it's it's basically You know, like same from the father, like no difference in terms of a trajectory there. There's a little bit from the donor. You're kidding. And then um, a majority from the mother. Mm. But we don't have full evidence of this. So first of all, um, while the National Academies of Sciences has recommended that these sort of mitochondrial sort of uh, maneuvers are approved, it's been blocked by Congress and the FDA. So it's illegal in the U.S. to do this. That's why they went to Mexico to do it. And so they aren't releasing a whole lot of information about it because it's technically illegal. Why is it illegal? I think it's, it was mostly blocked on grounds of, uh, of reproductive rights because you're dealing with, uh, egg donors and huh. IVS is sort of in this gray area for a lot of folks. It's a really weird case. There is a baby that is alive. Oh, it's born. Mm-hmm. Craziness. Yeah. A boy or girl. Oh, I don't remember. Good question.
1: I'm sure it's adorable. Everyone loves There's a baby. There's a picture of the baby with the doctor. Everyone loves a
2: baby. Everyone loves their baby. Yeah. Including Mark Zuckerberg and Priscilla Chan. Priscilla Chan. So this one I will disclose. I work at University of California. This intersects with me in that way. This announcement that came out about Biohub. And the director of Biohub, which you're going to mention, is my department chair, who I know well. Um, Priscilla Chan, who went to medical school at UCSF, married some... Some Harvard dropout, Harvard yeah. graduate. Well, she's a pediatrician. She's so a pediatrician. She was well off. Zombie land guy, zombie. <laughs> uh, and they announced a six hundred million dollar gift uh, to start Biohub, which is a a um, accelerated platform uh, collaboration between University of California, San Francisco, Stanford, and UC Berkeley uh, to accelerate. Um, uh, research in certain topical areas around infectious disease and some others. The basic idea of it is that there's a lot of research that doesn't get funded because it's too risky. And this is meant to increase the speed of that and take bigger risks. As I understand it, it's not only like regular research isn't just too
1: risky. Regular research is directed at more short term gains. So that they only have a limited amount of time in order to start offering a return on that research whereas this research they've they've actually pledged to give three billion dollars over the next 10 years mm-hmm. towards eradicating disease entirely before the year 2100
2: now that claim got a lot of derision yeah uh the we're gonna eliminate all disease and there's a big slide in back of priscilla chan when it said that um and that that's been derided but the idea of it and who they brought in to do it so there's two uh, folks that have been brought in to lead the um, the effort, one is, oh, I'm forgetting her name. She's from Rockefeller University. She's great. Corinne something. Uh, anyways, I'll remember in a second. Um, leads the entire institute effort. And then Joe DeRisi, who is my department chair, uh, leads the Biohub, which is a sort of accelerator. I'll tell you one story about Joe. Um, he studies uh, viral microchips, this idea of these using these arrays that quickly perform assays like these tests, quantitative tests in parallel. So you can basically get understanding of like viral infections really, really quickly. There was a 14-year-old kid in, I want to say Kansas City, who had a had a meningitis. Basically, his brain was swelling. He was going to be dead in a couple of days. They had to put him in an induced coma. They couldn't figure out what he what infection he had. And basically the doctors came down and they're like, we only have one last thing we can do. We have to try this experimental method, shipped over a sample to to Joe and his collaborator, uh, Charles Chu here at UCSF, and they ran this, this quick um, microarray test, this viral test, identified the pathogen, and the doctor was able to treat him and save that kid's life within about three days. So this idea of quickening the pace of our detection and treatment of pathogens in both of a basic research and an applied clinical realm, there's stories that prove that this can bear out in really amazing ways. Uh, But at the same time, uh, there are silos that exist for somebody like that to work with somebody at another institution. There aren't easy pathways for that to happen. So if there are all these smart people that we eliminate some of those, you know, bureaucratic barriers because they work at Stanford and somebody works at a different institution, maybe we can get some acceleration. That's basically the idea of this. Uh, It's pretty exciting. Uh, is this is this a this is great news for scientific community right because they have a lot of money now and they don't have to it's pay- more freedom too it's it's the kind of money where you don't have to spend all of your time writing that incredibly intricate grant to get the money right it's more like we're gonna take a bet on you and it could take ten years and that's okay yeah that's fine that's the idea behind it uh, I think that's it for science this week
0: all right let's move on to our next segment <laughs> The VR Minute, virtual reality, this week.
1: Nothing happened? Mm-hmm. All right, nothing, nothing testing, <laughs>
3: this week. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> this was a light week. Wow, um, I guess in terms of actual product and uh, software news... Uh, yeah, a little bit week but light week. But in terms of things re- tangentially related, maybe some directly related to the VR community and uh, development, uh, not so much. So uh, we can't. It was a it was a nimble week. Oh yeah. boy! Oh boy! Oh, boy, <laughs> boy. Uh, so late last week, uh, it, uh, I, uh, what was the was it Telegraph? I forget who was the um, the news site that broke the story. Um, the story was broken that uh, Palmer Lucky, founder of Oculus, um, had made some donations. The Daily Beast. Sorry, Daily Beast. Um, made donations to uh, a organization um, that was founded in Reddit called Nimble America that had been used to build billboards and promote uh, meme making um, to affect political change. Um, and. Uh, it wasn't a kind story. Uh, there were a lot of accusations made. Um, Facebook and Palmer had to issue statements. Palmer regretted that his actions. Uh, were, yeah, he made the actions, I guess, that he and and um, tried to push the story away from what what he actually did. He said he gave ten thousand dollars. Ten thousand dollars to this organization because he want and, and to, to make these these memes, sh- which frankly shitposting's uh, fun. E- exactly, a jolly good time. Yeah. Um, and I don't think it's still resolved as of yet. No one has said anything since. Uh, I think we believe that people are free to have whatever political views, uh, that they want and whether regardless of what company they work for. But, um, if you're the, the face and the founder of a big company and you're promoting shit posting, then maybe that's not so cool.
2: It's, yeah. it. I have no problems with him donating the money, like his right to do so. It's just dumb to do it, especially because what I think it really invites is there is a lot of people that have been disappointed with the rollout of VR so far, both from the lack of AAA games, um, the physical, the actual rollout of Oculus earlier this year, and this just
0: gives them license to write all of those negative stories
2: that are pent up, I
0: think. I think so, too. And it's not, I mean, it works, I think it works both ways. Uh, it's, I think, like, for example, Valve, like Gabe Newell has, there's, has, has never hidden from the fact that he's donated to Democratic campaigns. And if, it's also the right of developers to change their support for his platforms uh, based on what they feel like, of whether they're aligned with, you know, uh, the beliefs of the people they're working with. So after this came out, you had um, um, Polytron, uh, the publishers of Super Hypercube, uh, say that they're not gonna they're gonna release on Steam, but they're not gonna release on the Oculus platform.
2: On, Do you see many people doing that in response to this?
0: I don't see I, I, at least one developer. There were yes.
1: three or four. Yeah, and then they're not major developers, and certainly none that Oculus has you know are
2: are you know offered to pay or help subsidize. Mm-hmm. I think this will fade uh, because like he. I think it should kind of apologize. Like, I mean, I don't know what you call that Facebook post that you put out there. He he, he admitted to it. He admitted to it
0: it and he was sorry that that it it, it was reflecting
2: on Facebook. Uh, He didn't want, the
0: reason I think it's not over is because a lot of it was PR and damage control. And, uh, if it's not a full, I, I mean, the, how honest his apology was, uh, is still in question because the daily beast writer and their editor is still, uh, still hold on to their allegations that he, you know, he was, he wrote that post um, that was posted on Reddit, um, the one that caused, stirred the most controversy. It wasn't just the donation, but it was the language and uh, of that very specific post of that user.
1: I'm with you guys. You can vote for whoever you want to. You can support whoever you want. But I was just really surprised that he supported, that he paid for shitposting posting just seems like a destructive way to add to the discussion. Yeah. And I was, was really turned off by that. Uh, it, it could have been shitposting for the other side. I mean, really, it was just like that level of, of political action has just seemed very odd. And I, a lot of people have attributed it to his age. He's twenty two. He came into a lot of money early. Twenty four. Oh, sorry. So he's twenty. He's young. He came into a lot of money early. That changes
2: everything. Those and, two years is when you really grow up. I, you know, I don't buy that.
1: I mean, when I when I graduated college, I, I think I was mature enough to know the difference between real political discussion and action and this kind of thing. So that that turns me off um, more than anything. And I I wonder what it's like to be an Oculus now and to see him in the hallway. I mean, I know he's received a lot of support from some of the executives there, but. I know that this probably affects people's opinions of him inside the building. Right. And I wouldn't be surprised if maybe there's a change.
0: No, it's not on us to change our coverage uh, because Oculus is more than just Palmer Lucky and Oculus is 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 a lot of people working together and 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 a lot of the VR community. I think that, you know, we can we can hold him accountable for his actions as a person and, you know, we don't have to be friends with him, but I think we're still going to treat the hardware and the products as for what they are.
1: I'm totally on board with that too. I I think that the the people coming out against Oculus now are are taking that too far. I
2: think if you come out as a consumer, that's fine. That's totally fine. That's totally. And I legit. think that goes
0: to your point of that this built up. It was an excuse for, and maybe may the right excuse for all the pent up frustrations that people have had with the launch so far. And it was a, it was it was brought to light a lot of these things that have fallen short uh, in the VR promises uh, over the past year since the launch. And so it's it's timing could not be worse with Oculus Connect coming up next week. Uh, I, I'm fairly certain. That they probably will not make him available for interviews, but it's tough. Like, how can you have an Oculus Connect without Palmer Luckey? Uh, do you think he'll be there?
1: Yes. Do you think he'll deliver a talk? On yes. Part of the keynote?
0: Yes. I mean, I don't know this. I, I, yeah. I, I'm not privy to anything, but my feeling is, I don't think the. I think it would call more attention to it if he was not there. Um, they, especially uh, Oculus Touch being his quote unquote pet project, right. And That's we're coming up to that launch, hopefully. Well, let's transition. and Talk about uh, Oculus Connect. Do you have any any hopes for for what's coming next week? I am so surprised about how little has been revealed about Oculus Connect, uh, given that it is one week away. Um, and you know, this is probably the I mean, last year's Oculus Connect was the most important Oculus Connect for the company. Mark Zuckerberg was there. It was in a big venue. It was ahead of the launch. before both Steam VR or before both HTC Vive or and the Rift launched. Now. There are more developers, you know, now it should, get, but you have basically just one year later, the the thing that's going to make it actually super compelling, Oculus Touch, yep. it's so important um, for this to launch properly. And they haven't showed, they haven't done the launch event, they haven't showed all the games that are going to come out for Touch to renew the interest, to to get them back, you know, into, into equal footing with the Vive. So what are you hoping to see? I'm hoping to see a lot of games that are touch-supported, um, ex- both exclusives and n- new stuff that's going to be on uh, other platforms. I want to get access to developers who've been working with touch and also Vive and also PSVR and learn about their experiences with 3. And I want to see in the six months, in the more than six months since uh, the Rift has come out, what, people, what developers have learned about what users want and how that may change their development. And what what type of games they want to pursue? I mean, things just like um, Feral Rights we talked about last week. You know, if that, I don't think that type of game or well, that budget would get greenlit today, knowing how that's been received, and knowing that like there are opportunities to do things with Touch.
2: Do you think you're going to get an Oprah moment? You get a Touch, and you get a Touch. I I think it's a, a lot more likely now. It wouldn't after surprise the me. news of this last week. It that wouldn't surprise
0: me. Yeah.
2: Uh, what about um, What about pricing? Where do you want it to be?
0: We talked about this last week. I mean, oh, that's right. Yeah, it's a. It, it looks like it's going to be based on some leaks overseas around two hundred dollars. I was hoping for between hundred and hundred and fifty, but I could, you know, it, I, I think that the the people who have the Rift, it um, it's 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 going to be the essential accessory. And I think when you look at the Rift package, you have to look at it as both the Rift and the Touch eight hundred dollars or whatever it's, it's going to be, as opposed to just oh the entry level SKU. For six hundred bucks,
1: I'm excited to see their chaperone solution. They've already, they've announced that there will be one. They have a name for it. Yeah, what's it called?
0: Oh, it's like guidance or something.
1: Yeah, it, but that's that's great, and I, I look forward to seeing how that compares because they've had the benefit of Valve as you know showing an example
0: Guardian to, to sorry. improve on Guardian.
2: And after I t-boned myself playing Damage Core, I'm really excited about that too.
0: Yeah, and it's gonna be it's different because they have no camera, world facing camera. On on the Rift, so their chaperone system is gonna by default by be different than what the Vive is capable of. Well, yeah, that's true. Do you? I don't use that camera on the Vive. I just use the the holodeck walls. I I def, I use the camera when I have it pop up when I get close to the walls. You do? I don't. Yeah, I don't yeah. do them.
2: Uh, I really want to see something out of medium, especially integration with some other things. There's been some I think great it's great stuff. Yeah, and it's been amazing, but it's all been done sort of piecemeal and like sort of leaked out. I want to see that up front on stage because I think that's probably one of the most powerful tools that um is coming with touch and uh, we haven't heard much from Oculus about this. We've heard a lot from the people making stuff with it. Yeah. I need
0: I want to see more social stuff the, what they were previewed at the Facebook um the Facebook event, the, their big developer conference uh with basically you know sharing images, sharing virtual 360 environments, creating avatars. Um, even if it's just two people, but hopefully chat rooms in VR become a thing. And we've seen that with, you know, uh, with uh, with the pool hall VR game, right? That's a legitimate, compelling experience. I wouldn't mind if their hub, if
1: the Oculus Home was, became that, you know, it became like an extension. Could, you can invite people into your space.
0: And I've asked them about that. Like, you know, how much customization can, uh, when are we going to see the next version of Home? And because Home isn't designed to be a... um, a walkable virtual environment it's just a skin right now it's it's just a background for yeah. you know a rendered 3D background for um for this overlay this kind of xbox style overlay i don't unfortunately i don't see that changing much yeah i'm just saying it would be cool it wouldn't it would I, I agree they got to
1: flatten that rug out
0: too a lot of people are
1: messed up over that rug fold
0: <laughs> i mean and, and to be fair there is no kind of sh- equivalent on the vive as well like what's i, I would love for you know, you can download Steam VR uh, skins, you know, make make the loading screen look like the holodeck, but I would love to see it be more like what the Wii did with, in terms of floating heads and people being able to chat, and, you know, we need PictoChat for VR. Have you started seeing those PSVR ads? I think we
2: talked about that, like, briefly. They've had ads for a little bit now. I yeah. love their ads. Their ads are great.
0: We're getting close to the launch. You know, we are, uh, the launch is going to be on the 13th of October, um, I've seen the TV ads, and I completely agree. They, the CG that they do, so they show you your, the eyes of the users through a transparent rendering of the goggles in front of the eyes, I think is really smart. It's not exactly mixed reality, but it connects the idea of people looking in, into a space. Um, but it feels really weird that you know f- there are a ton of PS4 units out there. So many PS4 units. I ha- this does not feel like a Connect One style launch where Microsoft when Microsoft launched Connect for Xbox 360 it was the killer thing you must buy for that holiday season and at that point a ton of Xbox 360 owners already it almost was like their their second uh, their console launch. I think um the PS4 Pro took the wind out of PSVR. And if someone's going to make a purchase this holiday, I think a lot of people are going to buy PS4 Pros because they can use more stuff. You know, Maybe they bought 4K TVs. Um, maybe they see themselves. They have a big library of PS4 games already. They may see more advantage to that than they would buying PSVR for, as an accessory for the PS4. I don't know. What, what are you basing that on? I mean, it could just be that... There's
1: better margins in the PS4 in the in the Pro, and maybe they have more in stock. Maybe there's an no, issue. no, no, no. I,
0: I don't mean as a, as a supply demand thing. Yeah. I think as a peer, as a as a consumer, uh-huh. if I'm a PlayStation fan, right, and I have a PS4, or maybe I don't have a PS4, and I'm thinking this this is the holiday to buy something, because you know it's like mid generation for the console. There are a lot of games out there. If I'm looking to spend three to four hundred dollars, um, it may be more compelling from a casual user to buy PS4 Pro than PSVR, because PSVR is unproven. I think you'd be crazy. <laughs> <laughs> As a VR enthusiast, I agree. I but think you're, you're going to get a completely different experience in VR. I think you, for people who have not experienced VR, or only their only exposure has been like Google Cardboard, and if they own a PS4, I think yeah. PSVR is going to blow their mind. My right? concern
1: about PSVR is, based on the experiences we've had at their events, it has only been one, their event. Um, I've been two. Oh, either. Sorry. They, is they are, they push the motion sickness more than Oculus and, and internal valve stuff has done. In, uh,
0: game direction or in, in hardware? No, no, no. In game direction. Yeah. Like the, that one game, um, what was it? The, the big Colossus game. Uh, right.
1: I didn't uh, play that. You, you, God, you I didn't, didn't. I didn't like that, but there was one where you're kind of flying around UFOs and everything and just detached. Mm-hmm. And there's all kinds of like lateral movement and spinning, um, and these are games that they're putting you know they're putting out there um, and i don't feel i feel like they are not being as careful with people's sensitivities as the other two properties are for
0: a mass market yeah.
1: device that's exactly. that's a little worrying and i'm worried about that although i will say there are definitely some awesome titles like Battlezone battle is zone is a wonderful title. wonderful cockpit game
0: headmaster lots of motion that that worked for me um the thing that i think is the strongest um the strongest asset for PSVR isn't just the number of user potential users, which we know like already outnumbers you know number of PS4 owners 40 million, 40 million outnumbers number of people and the ease of you know, just buying it and plugging it in versus building a computer like that's a large potential user base. I think the advantage, really, the big asset though, is where it, the the VR games are being played. And it's going to be in the living room. And the fact that developers were given the tools to either show mirroring, unwarp mirroring on TVs so you have a type of social experience or designed specifically for asymmetrical social experiences. I think that PSVR, the bundle that you get, because you get a demo disc, and they announce, like, you get demos of Battlezone, Evalkyrie, and all that stuff. Um, But there's also the... uh, PSVR Playroom Playroom not Worlds Worlds is the like their montage of games but Playroom is gonna be the Wii bowling of PSVR that's the party game that's the party game because
1: everybody's engaged even the people on the couch and sometimes you're on the same team as the person in VR and sometimes you're the opponent yep and uh, that's gonna be a blast yeah It's
0: like Keep Talking. They were inspired by Keep Talking and No One Explodes. Same kind of idea. But they didn't make something that taxing. Like the fact that they have very simple games, the looking, you're a cat and you got to spot the mice and their cutesy animations. I think that's going to kill. The voice changing? It's going to slay. It's funny. Yeah. Yeah. All right. uh, I think that's it for the VR Minute. Again, probably a lot more next week. Well, Uh, we're not going to do it in time for Rockets Connect, though, are we? Because that lasts. That's a really, really good question. It may so, be two weeks because Oculus Connect is Wednesday and Thursday. I mean, if people, why don't we do a late podcast? Next we can week? do maybe a, a late podcast. I will be at Oculus Connect on Thursday, and we may, Why don't you just do it too? We may a do a, a recording on location. Yeah, a right. pod, a VR only uh, podcast. VR VR hour, uh, the, the, the <laughs> VR hour next week. Um, or or we can record a first half of a podcast and do the second half as a VR no VR half hour they'll make your life harder stay tuned stay tuned we were still in discussion about it all right let's let's move on to testing testing this week hey what have you guys been testing
1: I got some crazy headphones, man. Let's talk about your headphones. All right. So The Verge wrote an article that said, drop what you're doing right now and buy these $38 headphones right now. Um, And it was the most glowing review you've ever read for any product ever. I mean, it really seemed hyperbolic. It was just like, how could they possibly be this good? So of course I tried to pick them up, but they were all sold out on Amazon. I had to go with many, many deep, had to import them from Japan. It took a month for them to arrive. They're called the Carbo Tenor ZHDX 200 CTs. And damn, these are amazing earbuds. I I'm, I'm like, Earbuds, not headphones. They're, they're earbuds. And I had to pay 60 bucks for them. They sound like they make everything else I own sound muffled. They just look like regular earbuds too. They do. I don't know what magic sauce is in these earbuds, but they, I assume that there's some high-end earbud that, that's been rebranded and put into a, a cheaper shell. The the cables aren't that thick. There's nothing special about the way they look, but I'm hearing things I've never heard before. Like the the it's in, across the spectrum. It's clear, and I now I'm a being them with like earbuds I have that would cost 130 bucks. So and, 60 bucks, and it's like
2: they like, actually are supposed to retail for 38. They're just sold out, so the price has gone up. Oh. It's not a small difference.
1: Like I'm like clearly hearing different instruments and different aspects to the sound, and like it sounds now like. It's supposed to sound. I would love
0: to I'm really test happy. these. Really um, happy. Oh wait, do they have a eighth uh, inch audio jack? They plug in the headphone. Po- head- headphone. <laughs> they're not port? lightning. They're they're not lightning. Oh, I guess I can't use them. Yeah. <laughs> wah, wah, <laughs> have you lost your adapter already? Oh no, I still have the adapter. So yeah, I got the iPhone seven, uh, seven plus. It's jet black, blackest of blacks. Um, you know. The things that interest me, and there are a lot of things to say about this phone, and there's things to be tested, and things we'll talk about, and when we we'll do a full review. Uh, but obviously, the camera system is the the point of highest interest. The inconvenience of a lack of headphone adapter is number two. Um, other things are kind of then peripheral to that. You know, the new home button, um, battery life, and, and display, and stuff like that. It's, I mean, by all reports, it's wonderful display. Um, the camera has been disappointing so far. Yeah. Uh, the fusion system is, is the thing that's interesting because it's not so much a toggle on screen. It's a toggle one X or two X, but because so much of it is done in the background, I never know when it's actually using the second camera or if it's using So it's a digital zoom on the, uh, the 28 millimeter. Can't you go to a one X zoom and just toggle between them? No, when you when you're in a so there's only one camera app. You see one viewfinder, right? And you and on the bottom is an icon that says one X. You tap it and it goes two X. Oh, and that's the telephoto. and that's theoretically the telephoto, it. but it oftentimes isn't. What? Oftentimes it's just a digital zoom because the software will dynamically switch between the images based on the shutter speed and lighting. Oh, so in most indoor environments, if you're thinking about taking photos in either low light, and I'm not even saying like after dark or like in a bar, but just like in an indoor environment, maybe someplace like the cave or an office, and you go to the 56 millimeter, more often than not, it's actually using the 28 millimeter digital zoomed in. Only when it's perfectly bright light or when it's outside does it default. And you can simply test this. I can I cover the lenses hmm. and you don't see my finger peeking in um, on the 56 millimeter. Did uh, Has the portrait mode piece been enabled yet? <laughs> Only in the beta, uh, iOS beta, which I'll be installing to test that. Uh, last week, let me, let me do a quick uh, 2x zoom. Wow. I mean, I love the idea of that focal length, 58, 56 millimeters. Um, I'll show you guys. But it, it changes as, for photographers and even for casual photographers, it should change how you think about taking framing photos and and it's not just about zooming in when you're across the street and you want to get close up someone. It should change about. It should change even when you're right in front of someone how you frame their face and take a portrait. It is really a a normal quote unquote normal lens. Uh, the size of the image on screen is equivalent to the size of the person as you would see it in real life. Um, I love that potential to to the potential to educate and change how people are taking photos and share their photos. I think it's very clear that A- Apple wants to do that without giving people full hardware control. Well, what they want to do is make it as simple as possible. Right, and blend and, and, and take away the stigma of digital zoom by just enabling that and then using image processing, maybe sometimes combining both images, sometimes just choosing the one that's better, the wider aperture to take away the stigma of digital zoom uh which has been a stigma you know for for a long time um you know we've i've told people never to use digital zoom because you can always just crop in later even in the app um, so that that seems to be the trajectory they're going with with uh, at least with the camera system
1: i hope you do try the portrait mode because that's oh, yeah, yeah. the most interesting yeah. part to me
0: uh the other thing that's interesting um with the jet black one is that it t- it tells me that their design really wants that front face to be one screen are you thinking about next year and not just you like their their dream in terms of design like mm. johnny ives like the, so, re, the only reason jet black is comp- the one of the reasons jet black is calling comp- is in most lighting conditions when the screen is off it looks like one flat display across the, the whole front so
2: all this like butt taptic button you think all oh, that's gone <laughs> butt taptic mm-hmm. what are you talking about
0: like the the if it
2: if it's going to be just one screen then oh the home the, button the home button that is they that's, put the that's taptic- such
0: a good question right like you can't, there's the, the touch ID, they can't make it less accurate. They can't make it less fast on a new model. We've taken for granted those things. Touch ID is an Apple Pay and Touch ID are an essential part of their business. And as far as I know, there's no way to put that kind of camera sensor, what Touch ID is, uh, and also the um, capacitive sensor, or you can use capacitive, but Touch ID behind a screen. So they're gonna have to either put it on the back if they want a full screen or not do a full screen and just have the top half of the screen and still have a small button on the bottom on the bottom. I don't know what they're going to
2: do. I think the, I wouldn't be surprised if they turn the, the Apple imprint on the back into the fingerprint sensor.
0: Right. And I can hear people, people going saying nuts, going go nuts and saying Android did it. Other phones have done it. Apple's copying. Apple doesn't care. Apple don't care. Apple don't care. You yeah, know, you, you, I think you're right. The Apple logo will become Touch ID, um, which is weird. as a, uh, And I guess that, that makes sense because you can still use as a, home bu- a virtual home button on the front of the, because uh, the Taptic Engine works on the front, mm-hmm. they would just have an additional sensor, the camera sensor. It's just the
2: moving the sensor. That's not yeah. a big deal. Yeah.
1: Have you, you know there's a new reset command now because the home button and power doesn't work.
0: Together? Any, yeah, as a... As a Are you going to reset his it. phone?
1: So it's like volume down and power now. Just in case you need to reboot. Yeah,
0: the home button Guess it feels fine. I use the strength uh, level three s- response because I want the most impact on that. Yeah, But uh, I feel bad for people who wear gloves. People who live in New York this wear gloves winner. and use their phone. Use their That's phones. why they
2: have capacitant gloves now. No, they don't. Apparently it doesn't work.
0: No, gloves. Glo- capacitive gloves? Yeah. Oh, that, well, you would well, need capacitive gloves plus your finger still sticking out it's for the activation of the sensor. Wow, right. That's why we live here. Need gloves. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so yeah, uh, ongoing testing of that. Uh, reviews later. Um, Tweet some portrait mode shots. Yeah, I want to see those. Yeah. Got to install uh, iOS ten, uh, the, the latest beta. Um, I also got the a new camera. Another thing I'm testing. There's a lot of things I, I can't talk about. Also, that will will reveal themselves in later weeks. But uh, the Canon Five D Mark Four. I took the plunge. Um, We were on a shoot on Monday and you had that out. Yeah, it looked great. Yeah, I I love the borrowing the the Mark III for events from Adam, and now I have the four. The photos look fantastic so far. I've been taking a lot of photos in the dual pixel RAW mode to get some use Canon software and see how much I can focus adjust. Uh, But I've been also using it to shoot a lot of video, and I I really love the tap to touch, uh, tap to focus um, touchscreen on the back. I really wish the touchscreen flipped out. So I can use it to, as a viewfinder, but there's HDMI, um, and it you know it's lighter than the Five D Mark III, but if you're put it on putting on a big Canon lens, it's still pretty heavy.
2: Sounds good. Uh, I put Google Allo through the paces this week, and I, there were a few commenters last week that called me out for testing it live during the show as not being the appropriate way. I meant for it to be initial reactions, and right. I was kind of mad about it crashing my phone. Um, so it's been, I had to re, uh, I had to reinstall it because it was constantly crashing my phone and whatever <laughs> happened after I reinstalled it, it's been a lot more stable. I haven't had any problems with it. Um, and while I know they've always offered encryption as an opt in, if you go back and watch the IO keynote, it's still disappointing that it's that opt in. I have to get, I have to do like three clicks to get to an encrypted message. Why do you think that's their choice? Uh, because they want it to be aware, context aware, so it can improve other functions on your device. So it wants to be able to read your messages and understand what's going on. And if it's end to end encrypted, uh, like part of that is that you disable some of those other pieces, like including like location services. Mm. I, I have not found the assistant to be use more useful than Google now has been on my phone. Uh, and, uh, The app is currently on my 6P, which is basically one of the faster Android phones on the market until next week. Uh, It has been slow. It's been sluggish compared to just a basic SMS app. So it's hard to recommend Allo as it stands right now. The Assistant doesn't, doesn't add a whole lot. Yes, I can do encryption through it, but it takes a bunch of pushes to get to an encrypted message. And those encrypted messages really only work with other people that have Aloe, and it just doesn't have that kind of penetration yet. Can you tell before you send someone a text that they have Aloe? It'll it'll list from your contacts who you're able to. Aloe. Yeah. Cool. Uh, So I'm I'm still mildly disappointed. Um, Not as much as I was last week, but it still hasn't been great.
0: And uh, one last thing. Uh, I guess we're done with what we've been testing. Uh, we do want to give a plug. We are doing a live show. Again? Yes. Wow. Year number three. It's yes. a month from when you're listening to this podcast. That's right. October 29th in San Francisco at the Castro Theater as a part of the Bay Area Science Festival. Uh, we're building our lineup right now, but it will be presentations, talks, demos uh, from our friends and family of family members have Tested. Um, and uh we'll be doing a special recording of still entitled on stage,
2: yeah, and I'll say we've themed this uh show we we're calling it Journeys, just because Tested this year has taken a lot of trips and adventures to new realms, both physical and virtual, and we want to highlight some of that um through a, a whole series of of different presentations. I'm most excited that we have a band this year. Oh, Journey. No. <laughs> <laughs> Journey's in oh, the Oh, what a mistake that I didn't try to book Journey for this show. That would have been amazing. Can't be too much. Oh yeah, it can. Oh. oh my god. Yeah, it can. Don't stop believing. <laughs> a lot of your favorites will be there. Um more information on the lineup and the the exact flow going out. We're having a meet and greet with a lot of the tested family there too, so you can still buy um, premium tickets and I know I know a lot of people a lot of our premium members don't live here in San Francisco but most of the tested team is here and that's why we do the show here so apologies we hope to create a version of this for people elsewhere at another time but for right now
0: this is the best we can do it's going to be an awesome awesome night super excited for it. hope you guys can join us for that but we also will be filming it and releasing it on the site Um and uh, stay tuned for more information. Uh, I think we're going to have links on the site as well. Uh, if you go to Bay Area Science Festival.
2: Bayareascience.org, and there's a link on the tested site as well. Great. Um, I do know who I'm voting for. Please don't text me. Uh, to, please don't message me on
0: Twitter. But you can follow both Kishore and Jeremy on Twitter. Kishore is at ScienceKish, and Jeremy is at Jerware. Oh, I'll plug
2: one last thing. I did. I was on Cara Santa Maria's podcast, Talk Nerdy, this week. Uh, where if you want to know more about me personally and what I do and my other jobs, you can listen to that.
0: Mm, All right. More sure. Uh, and for our outro this week, we did get some sent in. So thank you. Uh, there's a new outro. Uh, let's go play it. You
1: know what? Hi
3: there. I didn't see you. That's it.
2: a small room. It's all
0: white. It's going to be really hot in here in about two hours. It seems very familiar to me. That's it. Thanks, Robert, for making that. We'll See you next week.